Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 15. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And uh, we are... Well, I, I don't want to say we're happy to be back. We're excited to be here recording this show, but we are far from happy uh, from being back from Disneyland. Yeah, leaving Disneyland, whether it's Florida or California, is never easy. So that's the thing. They'll, they'll tell you that, you know, oh, you leave Disneyland, it's so much easier than li- than leaving Disney World. They lied. Maybe if you're a local. Yeah. I don't know who they is, per se, though a lot of people that are more Orlando-based in terms of their theme park selection, like... You know, Disney World is our home park, so going to Disneyland was somewhere new. It is not easy. It sucks leaving, and it, it's it's no easier than leaving Orlando. So if they tell you that it's easier than leaving Orlando, they're lying to make you feel better. Yeah, leaving Disney is leaving Disney no matter how you slice it. It stinks. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, trip, the trip was wonderful um, in terms of what we saw at Disneyland and, of course, the Disney Studios, but bittersweet nonetheless for us yeah our towards the middle of our vacation is when the uh, fire started in California and it was really bittersweet while we were getting to enjoy the parks and everything knowing what was going on about 20 minutes north of us and it was just awful to watch and uh, it was never far from our thoughts so we're asking everyone please keep California in your thoughts if you can Uh, if you're so inclined Please donate to the Red Cross or the ASPCA to help out all the animals that have been displaced due to the fire. And um, if you can't help that way, um, you know, I know they're taking a lot of donations. So maybe it's a good time to go through uh, your summer wardrobe that you haven't worn and clear out your closet. There's people who could really use the help. Yeah. Yeah, Malibu was about 15 minutes from us, and we had spent some time in Malibu about two days before the fire broke out, and it was beautiful up there. Um, So to see it happen and to watch it happen in real time, like, let's be real about something. This is not when the Weather Channel puts Jim Cantor out there and he's bracing himself for, for wind that doesn't exist. You can't oversell what's going on out there. Yeah, especially for those of us on the East Coast, I feel like since we've been back, I really haven't seen a lot of coverage on the news. And it's awful. And that really shouldn't be understated. Right. And of course, you know, when we were there and and everybody that followed us on social media, and for those who listened to the Wreck-It Ralph review last week, obviously these things were going on at the time, but we were trying to keep it light, trying to keep it happy. We didn't want to draw too much attention to it then because at the time's you know, people really didn't know what was going on with their houses, with their loved ones. So we figured just let it go for another week and then we'd discuss it because we knew we were going to recap the show anyway. But lots to talk about here. A majority of the show will be spent talking about the time we spent out in Southern California, more specifically at Disneyland and the Disney Studios. But while we were there... um, And even up until a couple of days ago, big birthday celebration, Mickey Mouse. Yeah, he's getting like a month-long celebration, but rightfully so. Mickey is 90. He looks amazing for his age. And, uh, you know, it's very fitting because we got to go to the place where it all started. Yeah. With a mouse. And believe me, you, this is is not going to be a month-long celebration. They're going to market this for the next year, as they should. He's an icon. Absolutely. So we wanted to... um, take some time and discuss some of those early Mickey Mouse uh, animated shorts and even discuss a couple of the more modern ones just to 
kind of see how Mickey has transitioned over the years. And it's been a very interesting transition indeed. We have a Disney DVD here called Vintage Mickey. Now, they just came out with um, his 90th birthday collector's edition mega super Blu-ray cash grab, um, which is literally the same exact thing that we have now with maybe two or three more shorts, and it's on Blu-ray. But really, it's animations that were done long before the invention of Blu-ray. I can tell you there's not going to be that much of a difference. Right. But Um, get your hands on some Mickey shorts, though. Yeah, they're great. Um, What needs to be pointed out immediately is that Mickey started out really slapsticky. Yeah. You know, the, the, the more contemporary Mickey that you're seeing, um, where Mickey and Minnie are baking a pie and it blows <laughs> off the windowsill, that's not what's happening in these early Mickey Mouse cartoons. You know, really, really, really um, over-the-top physical comedy slapstick. Yeah, and I feel like Mickey as a character was a lot more mischievous before he was the face of the franchise. Oh, he was a troublemaker. No, no, Make no mistake about it. He's total troublemaker. That's kind of how he started. Um, and he almost always like got what was coming to him in a way. Oh, what goes around comes around. And Mickey was always a good foil to his own plans. Right. And that's what we're going to talk about with yes. these early shorts. Starting with Steamboat Willie. I mean, how do you not start anywhere but Steamboat Willie? Um, outstanding little film. Most of these shorts run about six or seven minutes. Some of the more modern ones run about three or four. But in this short, the Steamboat Willie one, you see Mickey as we've seen Mickey so many times as Steamboat Willie as he's captaining the ship. Well, as it turns out, he's not really the captain of the ship. Pete is the captain. Mickey is the deckhand. But Mickey's there kind of dreaming about driving that ship, and Pete finds him and kicks him out of the cabin. They make port to pick up a cow because they're delivering goods. That's where they also pick up Minnie Mouse. Remember, it's Minnie's birthday, too. Now, we shouldn't forget that it's Minnie's birthday, but Mickey is the face of the franchise, of course. Yeah, poor girl kind of gets snubbed once in a while. Yeah, although she turned out all right. Yeah, she did okay she for herself. Like She's got mo- a whole fashion line now. Yeah, and she ended up with the most uh, recognizable being and entity in the history of the world. Yeah. Um. So they pick her up. And Mickey and Minnie start playing around on the ship and uh, or on the boat, I should say, uh, playing music. And it's amazing because they basically take everything around them and turn it into a musical instrument. And they really played up on um, the animation and the music. That's something that really stands out when you watch not just this short, but a majority of those late 1920s, early Mickey Mouse cartoons. Right. Well, that's kind of how Walt started everything off with his silly symphonies. Um, He would always animate to music, but the difference was that Steamboat Willie was the first time the sound was actually synced up to the animation instead of done after the fact. Right. You can tell early on where Walt would later go on to make Fantasia. Yes. You know, where where the animation and the music were such a big deal to him and and using them hand in hand. So they play the music, they're causing a ruckus, and Pete... Stops them from from further uh, creating chaos and punishes Mickey by making him go and peel potatoes. And that's where the short ends. Now, let's be real about something. This was 1928. So these shorts don't have detailed storylines. They're very basic in their premise based on how short they are in terms of time that they run. But it was also a simpler time and a simpler audience. Somebody watching this in 1928 must have had their mind blown. 
Yeah, I can only imagine what it must have been like to see that steamboat on screen for the first time. Because when you first see it, you know, there's a lot of depth in the frame. You know, the boat is sitting on the water, but as it's chugging along, it's, you know, passing these mountains in the background and everything. And um, the steam coming off of the boat is synced up to its own sound. And then the boat whistles are also synced up to their own sound. So I can only imagine how striking that must have been to have a sound with every action. What impressed me so much was the animation in the backgrounds. You know, when the backgrounds move, it looks so realistic. And it's amazing to me that this is 90 years ago. Like It is so ahead of its time. But Walt, as an animator and as the influencer that he was, was very much ahead of his time. It's clear that this... I, it's almost as if they made this short now to create a backstory for this iconic character. I know that sounds weird, but that's how good it was off the bat. And it really it really paved the road for what Mickey Mouse's legacy was going to be. Absolutely. And for its time too, the animation was so clean. Yeah. Um and it's it's a genuinely funny little short. Yeah, it's very slapsticky, but there are times where I found myself laughing out loud at it. I think um this one in particular gets a little bit lost because we all know the iconic the iconic Mickey standing at the front of the boat whistling and turning the wheel and all that. Um, and that's kind of become one of the new opening titles before you see the castle in any Disney film. So I don't think a lot of people know, especially like younger kids now, what happens after and what the rest of the short is about. So I'm not sure that people are familiar with how funny it is, but for example, one of the one of my favorite slapsticky moments is when Mickey goes to get the cow, and um, he puts a harness on it so that they can get it up onto the boat. And you see how much slack there is because there's a it's a very skinny cow. And I thought that that was a detail that they might just overlook, and they were just going to get the cow up onto the boat. But Mickey realizes that it's not going to work, so he feeds the cow hay. And he instantly like pitches a bale of hay into the cow's mouth and you see the stomach fill out to fit this harness and then they get it up onto the boat. And it's just a really funny moment. Yeah. Um, There are some things in this, though, that definitely don't stand the test of time. For example, Pete chewing tobacco. You would never see that nowadays in a Disney film. And he spits it, too. Yeah. It's like the full action. Yeah. And at one point, now Mickey, as we mentioned before, is basically taking everything around him to create music, which is done brilliantly. But one of the things that he grabs is a mother pig who is nursing her young. He pulls the the babies off of her, turns her upside down, and then plays her as an instrument. Yeah. I don't really think you're going to see that nowadays if they went and, and made a story like this tomorrow. Yeah, I feel like that would draw a lot of complaints from a variety of different groups. Yeah, absolutely. But it's like you said, it's every excuse to get music into this short. Um, another great slapstick moment, too, is um, they start playing Turkey in the Straw. And the reason being is because Minnie had come aboard with her music and there's a goat on the ship that eats the music yes. and they realize that they can 
turn him into an instrument. So after he's consumed the papers and the musical notes, they start cranking his tail and playing him like a phonograph. It's so good. It's such a clever sight gag. And then they kind of join in with whatever they can find on the ship to use as a musical instrument. And um, it's just so well done. It's so entertaining. But it was just such a smart choice, too, because Walt clearly wanted to show off what he had achieved, syncing the sound up. And they pulled it off without it being overdone to say, hey, look, we have music in this thing now. Yeah, it's without question. It, it's it's the most iconic piece of animation in history. Yeah. No doubt about it. Another film that is incredibly iconic, whether whether you know it or not, is The Carnival Kid. Premise of The Carnival Kid is that Mickey and Minnie are both working for a carnival. It opens up with a carnival barker showing... Um, a a shadow on a curtain of a dancing girl. Turns out it's supposed to be Minnie Mouse. Doing the mini shimmy. Yes. But he's saying, come up here and see the hoochie coochie, which is probably not a phrase you would hear nowadays. I don't know that you would necessarily hear somebody refer to anybody, much less Minnie Mouse, uh, Minnie Mouse as the hoochie. Well, the hoochie coochie was a dance back in the day. Like, they in... Uh... Judy Garland's movie, Meet Me in St. Louis, they are singing about dancing the hoochie coochie. So I think it was more of like a carnival dance of the time. Mm -hmm. But I can see where modern day that may get misconstrued. I think the phrase hoochie coochie, more specifically the phrase hoochie, has taken on a new connotation. As so many things do 80, 90, 100 years later. Right, and we should never be referring to our mini that way. No, not at all. Um, but basically, this this shadow that you see on a screen is not really her. It's a puppet. So Mickey, who's selling hot dogs, calls out the carnival barker for being a scam artist, and the guy chases him away. And Mickey finds Minnie's trailer, and she wants hot dogs. He goes to sell them to her, um, or give her one, actually. He's not going to charge her for it. But the hot dogs are... Like trained. trained hot dogs. They do tricks and they mustard themselves and then jump he, into the bun. Yes. And then he gives her one and she goes to bite it and it's yipe, 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 yipe. And it jumps out of the out of the bun. And Mickey has to chase it. When he grabs it, he starts spanking it like a child. It's a visual that you would not see today because parents can't spank their kids anymore. Yeah, he pulls down the hot dog casing as if it were like a child's pants, and you actually see Tush. <laughs> It's really funny. It is. It's such a funny scene. Um, And later on, Mickey goes to serenade Minnie. He grabs a couple of cats that are also with this carnival, and they sing Sweet Adeline to serenade her. And the carnival barker comes out, and to stop them from making noise, he throws a bunch of things at them, and he quiets them, and that's where it ends. Again, very simple, easy premise. On the surface, it's not as impressive as Steamboat Willie, but what makes this so iconic is that this is the first time that you ever hear Mickey Mouse speak on film. Yes, his first line is hot dog. Right. And we all know that hot dog has become such an important phrase for Mickey Mouse in his history because it's not just a phrase that he uses as like an exclamation, but right. if you have little kids now that are watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and the show ends with him singing the hot dog song, that's where this comes from. This all comes full circle 90 years later. This was, there was also another first in uh, Carnival Kid. I feel like this is the first time we really see Minnie's 
Mickey start to court Minnie. Yes. Um, because that was the whole reason that he was giving her the hot dog free of charge is because, you know, he was trying to woo her. And a couple of the uh, more modern Mickey shorts that we watched, the first is Get a Horse, which aired in theaters right before Frozen. This was the lead-in to Frozen during its theatrical run, and it's absolutely outstanding. Again, it's a fairly basic premise on the surface. Um Mickey and Minnie and a bunch of the characters. Now it, it opens in black and white, shot in that original old style. style. Um and Pete shows up and Pete creates chaos. And Pete is not known as being somebody who respects your personal space. Um so he's all up in your business. And more specifically, he's all up in Minnie's business, which is a theme that you see very common in some of these early films as well. Right. So when Mickey tries to fend him off, he ends up throwing Mickey actually through the screen. Yes. And Mickey transitions from being a flat black and white character to being a color character in three dimension. Right. It's as if he burst off the screen and into the movie theater. And from then on, they're kind of in and out of black and white through the different scenes. But what impresses me is how flawless it looks. The animation is clean and it doesn't look displaced at all. Right. Um, no, it was such a clever sight gag to bring him into the third dimension. And especially too, once they burst through, it's as if they're in your theater. You see the popcorn flying and the nachos are all over the place. And um, it was really clever because Mickey comes through with a horse and the horse disappears for a while. He comes back with like movie popcorn and 3D glasses and a cell phone. And it was just so clever that Disney pretty much calls themselves out on this leap of technology. Right. And this had been the first time that you'd seen a Mickey short in theaters in years. I mean, this was a big deal when when this came out before Frozen. I remember Frozen being advertised, but clearly nobody knew what kind of lightning in a bottle they had with this movie. And I remember at the time, I feel like I was more excited to go and see a new Mickey short than I was for Frozen. Yeah, and and Frozen, kind of similar to Coco, the movie is not how the original trailer makes it look. So I remember, actually, I was sort of lukewarm on Frozen. I was going because you always go see the new Disney movie. But I was there more to see this than I was to see Frozen. Yeah, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, the trailer looks cute and I'm sure I'm going to go enjoy this movie. But, like, it blows your mind. But same with this short. When... I first saw the black and white. I was like, wow, that's really cool that they did this old school animation and in Walt style. And even when you see the Mickey and Minnie, they're like that sharper animation. They're not as rounded and fleshed out the way that we know them now. Um, And I thought it was so cool. And about two to three minutes in, I'm thinking that the whole thing was going to be in black and white and it was just kind of a tribute to the old cartoons. So when they burst through that screen, it blew my mind, especially the way that they used it where you have all the characters just kind of breaking this fourth wall and jumping in and out from the black and white into the theater. Yeah, it was seeing it in theaters is something that cannot be replicated. I mean, you can go and watch it if you have the Frozen Blu-ray DVD combo, it's on there. If you have the Disney animated shorts Blu-ray, it's on there as well. That's the one that has um Paperboy 
and, and feast, feast the yeah. one with the little dog. You can go out and get that. Otherwise, if you want to find it online, it costs like six bucks. But by and large, these shorts are for free uh, on YouTube. Definitely Carnival Kid and Steamboat Willie. And the other one we're going to talk about is in this new renaissance of these Mickey Mouse shorts, which I got to be honest with you, admittedly, uh, you can find these for free on YouTube. Mickey Mouse has its own YouTube channel. You can see them there. When I saw the redesign of some of these characters, Mickey and Minnie and Pluto and Donald and Daisy and and Goofy, characters that are so iconic that we grew up with, to see how they are now stylized, I wasn't really into it. These are the characters, how you, you're starting to see some of the concept art for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway mm-hmm. at the studios for people who aren't sure what we're talking about. That's the new look. I wasn't really into it at first, but having watched at least a couple of these shorts, they're actually a lot of fun. I really like what they're doing with the new shorts and I like the storytelling and I do like the animation style but when I first saw it I almost thought it was a little bit anime influenced and I was not on board with that at all because you do have a computer animation but it does kind of go back to like these sharper edges and and you can see it's being done in a computer but it's a two-dimensional character and it, it is kind of jarring. It almost looks more like a comic, like a splash page. If you think about, we're, now we're going to show our age a little bit. We were born in the 80s, but raised in the 90s, and on 90s television, right? The best TV generation, now, thank you very much. Let's let's talk early Cartoon Network. You take like Dexter's Lab, Johnny Bravo, the Powerpuff Girls. Yes. And even, you know what I'm saying? And like even some of the more modern animation, you pull a little bit of the elements from like SpongeBob. But you mix them all up with Disney. That's the product. Yeah. And when I saw it, I didn't like it. But now that I've sat and watched them, they've come full circle in that... These shorts are now like three minutes long. They're not seven minutes long. They're three to four minutes long. But they're back to being that slapstick comedy that was so prevalent in the early Mickey Mouse cartoons. And the one that we watched was, I'm going to butcher this, Croissant de Triomphe. Croissant de Triomphe, but sure. Yeah, well, you took French. I didn't. Uh, um, But again, a very basic premise. Interestingly enough... This entire thing is in French. It was released on the Disney Channel. It was released domestically, but it's completely in French. But not like where you need subtitles. It's like Beauty and the Beast French. Beauty and the Beast French. You know, the premise is that they need to get croissants. Everybody knows what a croissant is. But, you know, they use those exclamations like sacre bleu. And we've all heard Lumiere say it. It's it's not that bad. You're not going to be lost. Yeah. So Minnie owns a little bistro. And she's got a crowded restaurant. Everybody wants croissants. She runs out. She calls Daisy, who owns a bakery. Daisy has Mickey Mouse as a delivery boy, gives him the croissants. He takes off on his moped. That's where chaos ensues. He gets stuck in traffic. He tries to find alternate routes. He's crashing through buildings. The most brilliant scene in this film is where Mickey crashes through Cinderella Castle. Right. Like the Cinderella castle you see in Disney World at the Magic Kingdom. And as he's crashing through, uh, 
that's when the prince is putting the glass slipper on Cinderella's foot. And when Mickey goes zipping by, they drop the slipper and break it. It's hysterical. It really is. And spoiler alert, Mickey gets to the bistro and gets Minnie all of her croissants. And she kisses him. Yes. But what I like about this is, as I touched on before, it's the slapstick comedy. But also, um, there is not a ton of spoken word. And when you see exclamation, you'll see an exclamation point or a question mark or a musical note. Very similar to what you saw in those early Disney uh, Mickey Mouse shorts. And I enjoyed these more than I thought I would. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like we touched on before. They do look more like comics, but it's, you know, you hit you hit the nail right on the head saying that it's brought full circle because technically um, Walt's original Mickey's were comics. It does say a Disney comic on the title cards. Right. And that's why, you know, like you were saying, the stories don't really arc the same way that we know them to now. It's because it was essentially a live comic. Yeah. Um, And this short is significant because not only did it kick off the renaissance of this new age of Mickey Mouse shorts, but it also won a number of daytime Emmys for its animation and deservingly so. Absolutely. Um, But that's a quick little synopsis on a few of the shorts that we watched, um, which were all much better than the... 90th birthday special that ABC ran. Yeah. It really wasn't that great. We were in California when it aired, and it was our first day there, so we kind of figured we'd have an earlier night, go back to our Airbnb, and catch the special. Yeah, because at that point, we're still on New York time anyway. And we've been up since like 3 o'clock in the morning to make our flight. So I will say that I'm glad we didn't have anything planned where we gave something up to go home and watch this. Other than Zach Brown singing the bare necessities, which is the best song they've recorded in the last five years. It's not theirs. Yeah. Their new music is really not good at all. Um, This was kind of, it was okay, but it's Mickey's 90th birthday. It shouldn't have just been okay. Yeah. This should have been tears streaming down your face, show-stopping amazement, and it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, it was fun, and maybe it is us showing our age a little bit. I feel like this is catering more to the Disney Channel audience now than it is Mickey over 90 years. It also lacked Idina Menzel. You had the entire cast of Frozen, not her. What I didn't like was you had a couple of performers that came out and didn't even perform Disney songs. Yeah, that was a big no-no, too. It's like, I'm not here. If I want to see that, I'll go watch Saturday Night Live. Right, right. Yeah, no, this isn't a place for self-promotion. This is about Mickey. Yeah, and it should have been about Mickey and about Disney, and at times it wasn't. It felt disconnected and just <clears throat> wasn't that great. The best thing about about that evening was the ice cream. <laughs> if you're ever out in California, you got to go to Salt and Straw. Oh, man. It's expensive. It's not cheap. You're paying like 10 bucks for a pint of ice cream, but it's really that good. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like frozen mousse. Like, it, it the consistency, I, I can't even say it's like any sort of ice cream I've ever had. It's It's got the creaminess of like a gelato, but the airiness of a mousse. It's, it's so 
it's just so good. I'm surprised you even remember that after everything else we ate. Oh, we're going to talk about all of it. Please but, don't judge us. But before we get there, we would be remiss. I know it's not Disney related, but I just have to say we did spend some time in Hollywood and Los Angeles before we got to um, Anaheim. Anaheim. And Disney is not the only staff that creates magic and gets you in a good mood. We did a couple of tapings and we did some studio tours while we were out there. And I just have to say that we were lucky enough to go see a taping of The Price is Right. Oh, man. And the staff at The Price is Right, in my opinion, on par with the best of Disney cast members. That's a really good point. Yeah, they were really, really impressive. I mean, we were lucky enough to go to the taping of the Christmas episode, and that's pretty much all we can say about the taping itself. Um, but that whole production is just a well-oiled machine. And I mean, you kind of expect that because the show has been on for so long. But it was just so impressive to watch this crew work together and you have a bunch of grown adults who are just so excited to be there, but their crew was just like feeding that energy. It was nuts. I've been to the World Series. I've been to the Stanley Cup playoffs. I've been to Disney a number of times. I've been to over 500 concerts, but I don't know that there are many experiences that I've been privy to that rival the amount of energy I had at the prices right. I don't know if there was like candy that was passed out that we missed or something, <laughs> but it was like sugared up children on this line. And then by the end of it, you know, they, they keep your energy up throughout the show. They're, you know, asking you for applause and cheering and all that. My hands hurt when My I came away from My hands were beat this. red and I was in bed by nine o'clock that night. Like it took all of my energy yes. into three hours. I've never given that much energy. And I have run not one, but two run Disney half marathons. I did the the two course challenge for the wine and dine festival last year. And then went to the park and the next day. And then went day. to the park the next day. Crazy. I did 30 miles in one day between the race and the park. And I've never given that much energy in a three hour period of time. December 21st, 2018, watch for us in the crowd. <laughs> that much we can tell you. Yeah. It was great. Um, but I digress. Um, without question, Disneyland aside, the highlight of this trip, and part of the reason why we went on this trip, was because we got to take the tour of the Disney Studios. I still can't believe that happened. They only offer it a handful of times a year if you're a D23 Gold member. Uh, if you're looking for a Christmas gift, D23 Gold membership is a great Christmas gift to begin with. But I will let you know, if people haven't seen it yet, they announced their 2019 event schedule. Uh, tours of the Disney Studios for D23 Gold members exclusive coming up in April 2019. Wow, so that's soon. Yep. So yeah, for the Disney tickets. fan in your life, it's a great gift. They send you, um, you know, memorabilia a couple of times a year, but they also do these special events, and that's and, how and we were. And a lot were. of free, actually. This is you pay for this, but a lot of them you get free movie passes too. Yeah, but it wasn't that bad. 
to to tour the studios. But I mean, it's worth the price of admission just to get to go because not everybody gets to do this. I mean, you have to be even a high level cast member to take that tour. Just and and that's your in, your only other in. Right. Um but walking those grounds, you've seen it on television so many times, but I don't think that you can put into words what it is like what it is like to walk because it is it's hallowed ground. Oh yeah. What, driving up to the gate is weird enough. You see the water tower, that's weird enough. You park the car, that's strange. You're walking past sound stages, you don't really know what they're about. I mean, you know what's done there, but until you take the tour, you don't really have a frame of reference, but when you turn the corner and you see the building with the seven dwarves, that's the moment that it became very real. It's like the castle moment when you're on Main Street USA and you turn the corner and you see, no, I'm talking about my home in Orlando. It, it's that moment of like, you know, you think about being in Disney and then after your flight, after the Magical Express, you get there and you see the castle for the first time. And that's what this was like for me because you've seen the building so many times and then just to be in front of it was, I, I really can't even put it into words. It was it was surreal. But not just for that too. I mean, you're walking in Walt's footsteps. But for me, what I also couldn't get out of my head was we were also walking in the footsteps of the animators. And like, we just interviewed Randy Cartwright on our Waking Sleeping Beauty episode. And that was in my head the entire time was how much history is on the grounds and how those grounds almost weren't even there when you think about the history that's depicted in Waking Sleeping Beauty. Right. And also now Saving Mr. Banks was shot right on the lot too. So th- there there was just it was sensory overload. Yeah, it it took a it took a few minutes uh to really process everything. And our tour guide, um, she did a really nice job of she of, was wonderful. Of taking time and giving you moments to take your pictures and kind of drink it all in. But to give you an idea of the type of people that get into these tours, this was not just a D23 volunteer. This is somebody who started, and again, it's it's one of those amazing Disney stories, started off working at the Disney store. Right. And you hear these stories constantly. Of people, oh, I was a ticket taker opening day. And they ended up having some high-ranking you know, senior executive position, right? She started at the Disney store transferred out to California to work in their Disney stores, eventually moves up the ranks, our tour guide created the Disney movie rewards. Yeah. You know, like, think about that. She's like, yeah, I started that. What? Yeah. You know, she's giving us the tour. But even she said that, you know, she she would work on the lot, but she didn't get to tour it the way that, that we got to tour it. Not regularly. Right. And that was a really nice thing, too, is that... A lot of the people that were on the staff were employees, but they go back after they retire because they're still such fans. They still want to stay with the company. Right. And then they do this work with D23. And and it's just, it's very, very impressive that these people, you would think that after spending your entire career working at a place, like I could tell you, I don't want to go to, I don't want to go to my job on my day off. Right. I certainly don't want to spend more time at my job. I go to work so that I can come home, you know, so that I can afford a house. But and these trips people, to Disney. But these people, exactly. But these people want to go back to work. Right. And her tour was the perfect balance of educating us 
and fanning over it because she was just as excited as we were. Yeah, it was um, it, it was something to be seen. And and the things that you do see on this tour, it, it's as we stated before, like so many other things cannot be understated. They they started us at the Hyperion bungalows, which was really nice because they had um they had bagels and coffee set up for us and a nice little continental breakfast, which was more than they had to do. I didn't expect them to do any of that. No, not at all. Um and it was Starbucks products, so they didn't cheap out on you. Um right. we watched a little video and this room I think they said is where this actual building had been moved a couple of times, but this is a place where Walt and Roy and a lot of the animators used to have like story development meetings. Well, it was their first studio, the Hyperion studio. Right, for all intents and purposes. Um, so you start there and you walk past the commissary and um, you go and you see the animation building and we've seen it so many times. And like you said, uh, Saving Mr. Banks was shot there. Um, they take you into the building and... We got to go into the Disney archive, like the Disney archives. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people may not know like how much property is in the archives. Like they have social media and you see that they, they'll they release things every now and again. But like, I feel like it's kind of like the Disney vault where people don't take it that seriously. There is also the vault on this property that houses all of the film. We saw it. Yeah. We saw the vault. And it's no joke. And it's huge. Same with the Disney archives. It's in the um, Frank G. Wells building, named for, obviously, Frank G. Wells, who, as we mentioned in Waking Sleeping Beauty, was instrumental in saving the company. Um, so I love that they, they had that in tribute to him. Uh, but this building houses right in the lobby the multiplane camera that they used to shoot Snow White on. So out of the gate... You've got so much history there. Um, but then they took us into another room and there there were all these bookcases on the walls. And while we were there, they had a display of um, a lot of the tiki's and stuff from the Polynesian Resort and from the tiki room as well, as right. well as the uh, Adventurers Club mm-hmm. was all out on display. So it was themed really nicely. Yeah. And then they showed us the Mouskers. Yes. Which were the the Disney Awards that were handed out internally. And they showed us a couple of those. And then they said, we have another trophy that we want to show you. And they pull the bag off. And it's an Academy Award. Walt's Academy Award. For one of his nature films. Yes. And they go, anybody want to take a picture with it? Uh, Yeah. What? Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? So we got to hold one of his Oscars. Yeah. I I just I can't I can't oversell the fact that you have to do this tour if you're a Disney fan and if you have D23. Yeah, I mean for me, god I hope that's not the closest I come to holding an Oscar, but to have one of his was amazing and this man had 32 of them. I mean, so maybe that's that's chump change in their eyes because he holds the record for the most Oscars won. Uh Interesting fact that we learned on this tour, uh, closing the gap with eight Oscars. I was so afraid they were going to tell us it was Meryl Streep. It's actually Alan Menken. So you have another Disney legend contending to break this record. Yeah, he never will. But, you know, at least he'll be in the top five. I love Alan Menken. I I hope he has a shot at it. But, yeah, I mean, 
he'll he'll come close. I don't think Alan Menken's got twenty five Oscar wins left in him. I I mean I think he's talented enough, but you think he's going to win twenty five Oscars? I think he's never going to come on our podcast now. Thank you very much. Oh please, he will tell you that he probably doesn't have twenty five Oscar wins in him. True, but um, but even still, it was really cool. And you could just kind of hear the collective groan in the room because one of the things that they had on the archive was the banner Ugh. from the auction, the pirate wench scene in um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, and we're going to talk about our first time on that ride since those changes were made. Yeah, which, of course, was also our first time on the Disneyland version, which is so different from the Disney World version in totality. Um but you could just hear that collective groan in the room. Yeah, they had it behind props from the the movie. They had it behind Davy Jones' chest and uh, a couple of the guns. I think it was Johnny Depp's gun and uh, might have been one of Barbosa's too. Um, so it's nice that they were grouped all together. But like, I hate that that's there in the archives. Um, one other thing I do want to mention though about the archives was um, while we were there. Uh, Becky Klein happened to be working and you'll know her from pretty much any Disney historical piece. She's done an interview, um, but she was just amazing and she clearly loves her job so much and she she completely understands the responsibility that she has to this company. Um, and she was so knowledgeable and it was just wonderful to talk to her. Um, I asked her, funnily enough, we have a couple of... Um, Disney cells that I like to say that I've rescued. Um, we have one from Mickey's Christmas Carol. We have Oliver and Company. I have a flounder. Uh, we have Prince and the Pauper. And I've gotten them through an auction company. I'm not going to say which because that's my secret. But um, I asked if Disney archives were affiliated with this company in any way. And she was very quick to say no, that they're not that these are cells that have kind of fallen through the cracks. I don't know if it's, you know, animators that worked on the film that sort of passed them down or, or how they would have even gotten out of the hands of Disney, but I was very, very surprised to find out that it's not actually Disney auctioning off these cells. But I told her not to worry, that I am taking very, very good care of them. Yes, and uh, she seemed very relieved to hear that we were taking such good care of them. Well, one day I will get them back to the Disney archives. Well, we can give them at least one Prince and the Pauper. That's a story for another day. <laughs> We're going to save that. But don't you think you're getting out alive on this one? I didn't. Not for a second. Yep. Um, believe me, we'll, 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 we'll give you a story about that. Because I think one day we'll have to talk about all the cells that we have. Because we have more than just the ones that you mentioned. We have quite a few, actually. So I think maybe one day down the line we can do a show just discussing our collection of disney cells because we do have quite a bit once um, i've grown it more i'm not opposed to growing it more but we do not own the home <laughs> to put them in just yet <laughs> these are not things that should be you know in the closet no but some of them are what can i tell you it's long island we got a two room it's <laughs> we have more than most people. Um, so anyway, um, one of the really cool things that we got to see on this tour as well was they took us into soundstage number one. And it's called the Annette Funicello soundstage. A lot of these sound stages were named after Disney legends. And this one um, is appropriately named because this was the soundstage where they shot the original Mickey Mouse Club. Right. 
which is sort of overwhelming to be in that space knowing that that show was filmed there. I, I like in all the thing is, and and I'm not. I can't say it too many times at the risk of being repetitive. This entire tour is overwhelming. It really is, and, and a lot of it is very hard to put into words. So if it seems like we're not enthusiastic or that we're not explaining it to you, there's two. It's twofold. Number one, a lot of you in time may take this tour. I don't want to spoil anything. True. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, and you'll know once you've been on this tour, and if you have been on this tour already, you understand exactly what we mean. It's very hard to put into words what this tour means. I think it's a well-done tour where the casual fan or even somebody you know, who enjoys Disney, maybe doesn't go to the parks a lot, you'll enjoy it just because of the company's history. And everybody knows something about Disney. So... To the casual fan, there's a lot to learn. To Uber fans like us, I just, I wanted to walk the grounds like in Waking Sleeping Beauty where you see Randy's home video footage where he's just like spinning and twirling down the streets because he can't believe he's here. And I do have a confession to make because you were waiting in holding and I had to use the bathroom. I, I may or may not have done a little twirl when I went to go to the commissary to use the bathroom. Oh, you did the cart right. I did the cart right in front of the Sherman Brothers soundstage. I had to. Yeah. Um, a disclaimer, and I we didn't mention this before. If you are a huge, huge Disney fan, if you watch every Disney documentary, if you if you read every Disney book, and you know a lot about Disney history, admittedly, you're not going to learn an awful lot on this tour. Right. But. Seeing things yes. that you've read about, seeing things that you've only seen on television or in books or in magazines, that's where it's worth its its weight in gold. Or even just saving Mr. Banks. Right. Because it, that's the other impressive thing about it is like it's like a time warp. It really, except for the Frank G. Wells building, it's not really modernized. Like the gra- It just looks like classic old Hollywood, California. Yeah. It, and that's exactly what it is. So... You know, if, if you're somebody that that knows so much about the history, don't go in there and then walk out disappointed that you didn't learn anything new. You'll learn a little bit new, but for an Uber fan, as you put it, this is more about seeing the things that yes. you have spent so much time investing your yourself into right. and, and researching. That's the overwhelming part about this. Um, Soundstage One, also the home at one point to the Black Pearl. Yeah, just to give you an idea of how big the thing actually is, we're talking, when we say soundstage, it's one of those big, like, airport hangar-looking buildings that you see when, you know, they'll do a flyover of, I feel like probably the most iconic one is the Warner Brothers Studios, because there's just so many, and you see it in the introduction of any Warner Brothers movie, so those are the types of buildings we're talking about, um, but it's it's huge, and as you can well imagine, it would have to be to how's the set of the Black Pearl. Um, so for me, who's a huge Pirates fan of the first one, um, that was really cool to to stand in that room. Yeah. Um, without question, though, the, the, the moment that you all have been waiting for when you take this tour is Walt's office. Or offices. That was something that I learned. Yeah, he didn't just have one. He had multiple. And depending on the level of executive that you were or mm-hmm. the level of importance 
of the meeting determined which office you were going to be in. I mean, his secretary had more than one office. Right. I thought it was just the one because a lot of times when he would tape things in his office, you would see him sitting at the desk with all of his figurines and chachities behind him and the pictures of his daughters. I thought that that was it. And maybe I've seen the other one, but I thought it was remodeled. I had no idea there were two existing offices. Right. Um, and what's what's incredible is that when you walk in there, from watching him on television and seeing reels of him, it's familiar. Right. Certain Certain things are familiar. Like, they have the map. Of the layout of the or of the of the Florida, the Florida project, project, right? And we've all seen that Epcot. You know, we've all seen <laughs> that that footage. And to see that in person is wild. To see his office as it has been depicted in so many other films is wild. What was crazy to me was, and you don't get to see what they are because everything is basically left untouched since the day he died. Um. He had stacks of scripts that were in development. We don't know what they were, and we don't know if they ever got made, but I'd love to know what's in there. I wanted to flip through so bad. I mean, first of all, everything is roped off. You you walk through the office. They don't even, just because they're trying to preserve it, they don't even let you walk on the carpet. They do have that plastic padding down for you to step on, so they don't have to, because... If you have to recarpet the room, you have to take everything out. And that's also a huge credit to the Disney archives because it when he passed, it's not like they locked his office up and threw away the key. Um, I believe uh, Roy had used it for a while and Ron Miller had right. also used it. And then Michael Eisner and Frank Wells were in there. Right. So but but in by and large, not a lot of people have been in there. Like, I don't even did they say I don't even think Bob Iger used that office. I don't think so. But the other thing is that immediately after his passing, they left it. Nobody wanted to go in there. Nobody wanted to touch everything. But over the years, they did utilize it for other things. So everything is back in there now untouched. But that's a credit to the Disney archives because from photographs, they put that room back together. Yeah, piece by piece. Like they said that when they put the bookshelf back together and they had they had the photograph, they knew exactly which book belonged where, but it still took them months to do it. Right, because some were upside down, some were laying on their sides, but they, they got every single one back in there. So... Long story short, in order to recarpet this room, I can't say I blame them for not wanting to have to pull every piece out and then put it back together. Right. And there's so much more that we can talk about, but I don't want to because I don't want to spoil it for those who want to go and want to see it. Without spoiling, though, I just have to say there was one more thing that was a big takeaway for me that was really, really impressive. I mean, we we all know what a visionary Walt was and how ingenious he was but um just his his intuitions what they explained to us was that um everything flowed out of his office the way that the entire studio was set up was to streamline the animation process um so his office was on the corner of the third floor of the building um the second floor housed the story department and then the bottom floor housed animation. So everything was a trickle down from Walt's office. And then the next building after animation was the ink and paint department. Right. Everything flowed like a carousel. Yeah. And that's all we'll say because 
there is another really cool part of the tour that you get to experience to find out how all of this animation flowed through. And that's something that I don't want to spoil because that was something for as much research that we did was a surprise to us. Yeah, that was the so, biggest surprise. I'm and just going to be mum on that one. We're going to leave it there. Um, and they do point out, uh, unfortunately, um, you do see the hospital across the street from the studio. And as most people know, that's the hospital that Walt passed away in. Um, and it's just, you kind of get the chills thinking like, this guy looked out the window every day, not only of the studio, but eventually of the place that he would die in. It's just, it, it was a bit unsettling. That was kind of morbid, but looking at it from the other side too, I can't imagine what he must have felt like once he was in that hospital looking out the window at everything he created. That was incredibly sad. Yeah, no, probably knowing that he wasn't coming out. Right, and especially because... When he got sick, it was in the middle, you know, the last ride that he worked on was Pirates of the Caribbean, which is also why I'm so salty about this wench. But, um, you know, to know the legacy that he was leaving behind and then have to have to stare it in the face and to know also that he wasn't going to get to see a, a completed film or to see the rides completed. Like, yeah, that must have that must have just been really emotionally draining on top of everything else that he was dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, and the tour ends, like so many tours in Disney end. Or rides. Uh, or rides at the gift shop. Um, we were <laughs> able we were able to go shopping at the studio store, which you can't do unless you're on the tour. They do not open this store up to the public. Now, half of the store is like a regular Disney store, like you would find at the mall. Um, but... There is half the store that has items that are exclusive to the Disney Studios. Yes, I did get myself a little portfolio notebook that I can use for all of my monorail notes now. Yes, we did, we did quite a bit of souvenir shopping for ourselves. But we did a little souvenir shopping for one of you. We did. Hang around to the end of the uh, to the end of the show. We're going to tell you how one of you one of you is going to get your hands on a really cool little Disney prize pack and something that could only be found at the Disney Studios. Yes, stick with us till the end. You're not going to regret it. Um, so that that was our day at the Disney Studios in Burbank. Um, really cool. The staff there was wonderful. What I liked most is that when we were done with our tour. They, within reason, let you kind of hang around a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't go anywhere by yourself, but just in the general area in front of the store, in front of the commissary, and um, where they had us in holding in the Hyperion room, you could kind of hang out. And I, I didn't want to leave. That was the thing. Like, thank God we had Disneyland to go to after this, because otherwise you wouldn't not you would not have gotten me off that property. Yeah, well, we had a we had a dining reservation that night at uh, Downtown Disney, which it took us so long to stop saying Downtown Disney and start saying Disney Springs that when it came time to do this trip, we kept calling it Disney Springs, but we had to go back to saying Downtown Disney. Yeah, it's it's just going to be, I think, Downtown for me from now on. I'm back to Disney Springs. I I'm I'm back to being. Orlando proper now. However, MGM will always be MGM to me. That is correct. Um, although MGM isn't anything compared to Disney's California Adventure. Oh my gosh. But we'll talk about that in a minute. I, I would be remiss to say, I'm not afraid of mentioning, quote unquote, the other park. 
I know a lot of Disney podcasts don't want to talk about the other park or the other place, but I do have to say that growing up, I used to love going to Universal Studios Orlando. Universal Studios Orlando to me now is like going to Six Flags. I don't get that feel of ride the movies anymore the way that you used to have it in Orlando. Right. You totally get that feel at the Hollywood version of um, Universal Studios. Yeah, it definitely does a better job of putting you in the movie. What impressed me most about that particular park, similar to how Disneyland did it, obviously in Orlando, both both companies have a ton of property to work with. They don't really have that in California. They made an incredible use of their property. And what's wild is that you have to take half the park is, for a lack of better terms, on ground level. But the other half of the park that you want to do when you want to go to the Jurassic Park area, when you want to take the studio tour, because mm-hmm. that's built into the amusement park. It's like an attraction. And when you want to do the mummy ride, you have to take these three huge escalators because that par- that portion of the park is built on the side of a mountain. You're up in the Hollywood Hills. Oh, yeah. And what's nice is they have binoculars. You know, you you throw a quarter in or whatever, and you can look through the binoculars because you're at the top of the hills, and you see everything. And on a map, they actually point out where you can find the Disney Studios. Like, Universal is not afraid to point out Disney. And you can see it clearly. That in the ABC building, you can see clearly right behind uh, the Warner Brothers lot. Yeah, I mean, it's a different feel out there. I I feel like there's a lot less competition between Universal and Disney. They're also much further away. Well, I think that's where part of it comes from. But there's also not that, like, Marvel property animosity. Right. That you have. Um, but, it again, I think that has to do with location, location, location. The proximity in Florida is really what drives that. This, mm-hmm. um, you know... I think we would have made the stop in L.A. regardless because it's close enough to Anaheim. But really, the meat and potatoes of this trip was that we got to do the tour of the studio before heading over to the park. Correct. Um, so Saturday, um, we after the tour, we drive over to Anaheim, which was well, like a 45-minute drive. We did do something before that. We went to go actually visit Walt's grave. Oh, that's right. We didn't mention that. We um we were able to find it. Um, you know, it's not like a huge kept secret, but I think that they do try to keep it as private as possible and try to stop people from, you know, leaving Minnie and Mickey stuffed animals all over the the because it's a family plot. Um, but we wanted to go check it out. Um, you know, we had done Hollywood Forever, which is one of the cemeteries out there. Um, and you know the grounds are beautifully kept, and you you can kind of just go. Um, but we wanted to go find him specifically and it was kind of fitting that we were able to do it right after going to the studios. Yeah. So he's over at Forest Lawn in um, Glendale Glendale. and he was in the section. I can't remember the name of it. Something like the the lawn of freedom or something Uh, like that. Something, something freedom, but they have a big garden of freedom, the garden of freedom, something like that. But there's, you see, so there's two of them that have this freedom moniker. It's not in the first one. It's the one behind it, the second one. It's Mm. a huge mausoleum. And if you're standing in front of the mausoleum looking at it straight on, just to the left, 
behind the staircase in a little alcove in this little private garden, which is all of like eight feet by eight feet. It's not big. Is the plot where Walt and Lillian, um, where they are. And it's a very unassuming um, little spot. You would think given his legacy, that he would have some huge plot or monument. Or Or like a Mickey topiary. Nothing. It's literally just a little bronze plaque that says Walt Disney. Right. And we did not take pictures of it because we're not jerks. And listen, some of of you out there may have gone to some of these cemeteries and have taken a a picture of their headstone. And we're not going to pass judgment on you. It's just not what we felt we should do because at the end of the day people go there to visit their loved ones right it's a tourist attraction in that you can go pay your respects to somebody who you have a great admiration to but it's like i'm i get turned off when i see the starline bus turn in and you got somebody on the walkie talking and over there to the left is the grave of it's like no that's that's not appropriate Right. Especially, too, because let's not forget, this is a working cemetery. Yeah. And there's a quarter of a million people buried there. Well, there was a funeral going on when we were there. Like, we didn't even want to shut the car door. There were two of them. Yeah. Like, we didn't even lock the car because we had a Nissan Altima that was our rental car. Sentra. Sentra, whatever. But for whatever reason, the horn on this car beeped when you locked it. Not unlike any other car. But this car horn was so (laughs) loud. It was like a train whistle. So I certainly couldn't do that while these funerals are going on. So we had to leave the car unlocked and hope for the best. And thankfully, turned out just fine for us. Um, but we we get to Anaheim about 45 minutes later. Um, and we didn't stay on property because admittedly, there's only the three hotels at Disneyland. They are very, very, very expensive. Yeah, we're- we were there for Veterans Day weekend. So I think because... The holiday was on Sunday, and then on Monday it was observed. You had a lot of kiddos off from school. You could see attendance was high. Yeah, but these hotels were north of three fifty a night. So what we ended up doing was staying at the Anaheim Hotel, which is a good neighbor hotel. It is right across the street, and they have a deal worked out with D23 where if you book through them... As a D23 member, you get 20% off of your room, which is a huge amount of money. Like, in all, our stay for four days at that hotel was less than $700. Yeah. So it was less than a two-night stay to stay on property. And when I tell you that from our hotel room to the gate of Disneyland was a 10-minute walk, I'm not kidding you. It's a 10-minute walk walk i will say though i do have to put a disclaimer out there as i said to you they have a deal going on at least through the end of this year which they probably will renew because i've seen it there many times where you get a 20 percent off deal booking through d23 now when you do things like this and d23 gives you an instruction you better follow that instruction exactly how they say Because on the D23 website, on the D23 site, right, the website, it says that you have to call them, explain to them that you are D23, and you you make the reservation through the operator on the phone. Right. Okay? Fine. I called. This was months ago. 
and I go to do the booking and they're like, oh, you know, you, you could just do this online because I was like in my car. Like I had them on speakerphone. I was I was doing a couple of different things and I was on my way to work. And I think they asked for a credit card number and I'm like, oh, I'm driving. I don't have my credit card with me. And they said, that's fine. You can book online. And I said, OK, but um, I just I just I'm confused because the D23 website says that I have to do it through them. And they're like, no, 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 you can do it through um through the website and as as long as you show your d23 card on Mm check-in you get the rate and i said okay so i got to work and i made the reservation and i thought nothing of it we go to check in and i hand them my credit card and i hand them my d23 card and the kid at the counter says well what is this i said it's d23 he was like, what is that? I go, it's the Disney fan club. You have a promotion going on with them 20% off the room. No, we don't. I was like, yes, you do. No, we don't. I said, yes, you do. He's like, but I'm looking at your reservation and there's no deal on here and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, 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 no. You have a deal. Basically, it was one of those, I have to talk to somebody who's not you, so get me somebody else. The next person comes up, does the same thing. I go, no. And I pull up the D23 website and I show them. I go, look, look, here it is. And it was going until December, this promotion. And what they say is, well, we're at 100% capacity and we don't have any more rooms at that rate. And I said, I made this reservation months ago. I spoke to you people on the phone. Back and forth. And and the, the end up of this is that I end up going back and forth with them for no less than a half an hour. Yeah, like I had already gone out to the car, put the parking slip in, because at this point, you know, we were kind of stuck there. And they were trying to charge us like $275 a night for a room that we were supposed to have for like 112 bucks. Right. So I'm flipping. Long story made short, I don't like to do it, but let's just go ahead and say they got an awful lot of Long Island thrown at them between the two of us and they ended up honoring the deal which they thought they were doing us a favor you weren't doing us a favor you're just giving me what i was supposed to have and eventually it worked out just fine but if you're a d23 member and you're staying at this hotel do not let anybody tell you that you can make this reservation online and just show your card when you check in you have to do this with them over the phone yeah i mean it's one of those things where, like, when you told me that, I was like, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And basically what I think happened is that, you know, this is a wonderful promotion when the hotel is at, like, 60% capacity right. and it's not full. Now that it filled, you know, and I think a lot of that may, unfortunately, have had to do with the fires as well, as people are getting out of Dodge. So you want to take the kid's mind off of everything. Why not go to Disney? Right. Why not, you know, try and make the best of the situation. So now that they're at capacity, they don't want to honor this deal. But do you feel better now that you've aired your grievances and put them on blast? I do. I do. It's not that I'm trying to blast them so much as it is that I'm trying to I'm trying to guide people in the right direction who are going to take this trip, who are planning on this that you don't don't fall into the same trap that we did and show up there after you've uh, you know you've flown 3000 miles to find out you might not have a hotel room that night that is very true 
because they they think they have you over a barrel. Oh, yeah. Because then it's like, well, you either stay here or you stay somewhere else. But if you stay somewhere else because you're less than that 48-hour cancellation window, we're going to charge you for the first night anyway at $275. Well, I think what got them, too, was I was like, all right, well, I have Hilton points. We'll go over there. Yeah. And they they knew that we were out the door. Yeah. We, cause that's, at this when point, they, that's when they flipped. Yeah, because we actually did walk away. And right. we actually were on the phone trying to get another hotel room. I would have eaten the 275. Not that they knew that. But anyway, we ate up a lot of time right now to tell you this story, but it's, but it's necessary. You should know this. At the end of the day, it's a clean hotel. It's a nice hotel. It's a fantastic location. Like when you, when you see the commercials on TV and you can see the Disney park from your balcony, unless you're staying at like one of three resorts, those rooms don't exist. But we stood on our balcony at this hotel and and stared up at Mission Breakout, the Guardians of the Galaxy ride, the old Tower of Terror. And not just because it's tall. Like, it was right there. It's not just like you could see it off in a distance. Yeah. Like, would I stay at this hotel again? Absolutely. But I would never make the mistake again of not following the exact instructions that D23 gave. Right. Which leads me to believe that it's not just this hotel, but any D23 promotion that they're running, read the instructions when it comes how to when it when it comes to how to use this promotion properly with anything that they do and do nothing but what those instructions tell you because this is the type of trap that you run into. We were almost late for our dinner at Ralph Brennan's at downtown because we had to deal with this, but it ends up working out just fine. Right. Well, it's interesting that you bring it up how close we were in proximity because you know and we're really going to try and talk about the parks without comparing them to Florida because I don't want to compare because they're both so special in their own way and after having experienced both now I really can't say that I like one more so than the other Um, but my biggest concern going in and I should go on record as saying this I never even wanted to go to Disneyland and we're we're talking about like years ago Um, because to me There's no Epcot, there's no MGM, and it's not my park, I don't feel like. You know, it's not where I have my memories as a child. And to me, it's just, you know, there's one Mickey Mouse, and he lives in Florida, and, like, that's it, and that's what I wanted it to be. And it wasn't until you convinced me otherwise when you said, yeah, but this one was Walt's. And just like that, plain and simple, I was like, great, guess I have to go see that now. Yeah, this was not a trip that you were excited about taking for a long time right I mean you know when we booked it obviously I felt completely different and when I knew we got the Burbank tour but even you know it wasn't until like recent years where I was like I feel like to be a true fan you have to go you have to experience the other side but my biggest reservation was this isn't like Disney property it is in the middle of a large city and that was the thing that I was pleasantly surprised about was even walking over to the parks in the morning I really didn't feel like I was in the middle of a city everything obviously is built up around the parks you know there's more hotels there's more shops and restaurants you know they do recognize that not everybody is a local going down there so they did build up around it so that you could stay for a long weekend or you know possibly even a week Um, but it really didn't feel like we were in the middle of a city And I was really happy about that because I felt like I was completely immersed in everything, especially once you're inside the park. That's that was my thing was I'm thinking like you're going to be in the park and you can hear traffic outside or you can see you can see buildings. You could see other hotels. You could have blindfolded me 
dropped me in that park and said, uh, you're in Orlando. And I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm fully immersed. I was really, really taken aback by how removed you feel from the rest of Anaheim once you are inside of those gates. Right. Um, and that's pretty much the only, like, big comparison I can make. I think, um, why don't why don't we just go around the park in order? Because there are so many little details. And like I said, I don't want to compare everything. I just kind of want to hit on, like, everything as it is. So why don't we open up a park map, one of the 47 that you grabbed... And uh, we'll just we'll just go around. Yes. To start, you don't have the hub and spoke system in Disneyland that you do in Disney World. So in Disneyland, you'll hit dead ends. Yeah. You, you can't just go around full circle. So be prepared for that and definitely study your park maps uh, before you go. So walking in, you go down Main Street USA. On the left-hand side, you see Walt's Firehouse. Not as striking as I wanted it to be because they have a Christmas tree and not the lamp. I really wanted to see the lamp. You could kind of see the lamp at night, like in another window, but it wasn't as prevalent as it is right. usually. You're right. It's not in that front window uh, because by the time we got there, they were not fully decorated for Christmas, but they were pretty close. They were transitioning, yeah. And then you turn and you see, um, you see Sleeping Beauty's Castle which obviously is a lot smaller than Cinderella's castle. But when you think about it, this entire park is much smaller. This park fits in the parking lot at the Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World. Right. Technically speaking, both this and Disney's California Adventure put together fit in Orlando's Magic Kingdom. That's wild. Okay. So with that in mind, the scale is much smaller. So this castle is smaller. But, but in comparison to the other one, not on its own. For what it is in this park... It's a good size. That's my point. Right. To scale, it is probably the same scale as Cinderella's castle is to the Magic Kingdom in Orlando. If right. you if you, if you, if you dragged and, and if you clicked and dragged <laughs> from the top right box and you made the image smaller, to scale, they're probably very close. Yeah, the only thing, and it's it's not a knock against Sleeping Beauty's castle, it's just that it didn't feel like home to me. Had nothing to do with the size of it, had nothing, again, and like I'm not trying to compare because Main Street USA was just as impressive, and what struck me most was that those were all of Walt's design. You know, like he walked in those buildings, he designed those buildings. Um, I just didn't get that same feeling. Like when we go to Florida... Without fail, I turn the corner of Main Street USA no matter how many times I go, no matter how old I am. I am in tears at the sight of that castle. And this time, I cried over the firehouse, but not over the castle. Yeah, well, and it'll never be home because you don't have those memories going up there. But for people that call Disneyland their home park, they don't get overwhelmed when they go to Orlando. But right. they get, you know, it's just it's what you're used to. It's it's your familiarity. It's where you grew up. And for us, that was Orlando. But for a lot of people, it's Anaheim. Um, Usually in Orlando, we do start in Tomorrowland. It's just kind of force of habit. So this time we actually went, although it is not the hub and spoke, we went into Adventureland first. Right. I will say where you, you know, and you do have to compare some things, the windows on Main Street. Disneyland 
blow away the windows at Walt Disney Yes, World. yeah. They blow them out of the water. It's not even close. Not We're not talking about the merch displays. We're talking about the little animatronics in the windows. They are so much more elaborate. And the sets change. It's It's just... They have a Toy Story one. I don't want to spoil it, yeah. but you have oh, to see so the Toy cool. Story one. It's so good. The Frozen one is great. The Princess and the Frog one was good, but the Toy Story one is probably the best window I've ever seen on Disney property. Hands down, no questions asked. Yeah, I mean, for what they're doing in the space, you almost kind of think it's like Carousel of Progress where it's just rotating to the next room. It's not at all. They are like flipping sets in and out of each other and moving the characters around. It's so impressive. So we started in Adventureland, and the first ride the the first ride that we did was Indiana Jones. Um, that's how we ended up there because we heard that, I mean, obviously it's a popular ride, but, um, you know, we got there for rope drop and we didn't want to run the risk of not being able to either get a fast pass for it or getting on it later. And I think it was like a 20 minute wait at that point. So we ran for it. Right. The Indiana Jones adventure, which is where you go into the, um, what was it? The, the temple of the forbidden eye. Yes. And it's dinosaur. It's literally the exact same vehicle and track as Dinosaur in Disney's Animal Kingdom. Or as I call it, what... Disney's Animal Kingdom, the dinosaur adventure does not exist in my mind anymore. It doesn't exist. This ride is by far the superior attraction. Actually, in my opinion, maybe I'm burying the lead. I think this is the best attraction in Anaheim. Yeah, I think I have to agree. Was it my favorite ride? No. But if you're looking for a unique experience, this is it. In fact, Indiana Jones, you know, I knew going on Dinosaur, everyone said, oh, this is the Indiana Jones ride. You know, because I'm not a roller coaster person. I should throw that out there now. Um, And when I first went on Dinosaur, I didn't know what it was going to be. And they were like, no, 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 it's just a car on hydraulics. It's not, you don't drop or anything like that. And I was like, all right, I can handle that. Um, But, you know, that was how I learned what Dinosaur was, was they said it's just the Indiana Jones ride. It's just the difference between the two is that from the moment you get on the queue, this is fully immersive. Right. This is not only a great ride, this is a great queue area. Yeah, and that's that's why I don't want to compare and contrast the parks too much because some of the queues at in Florida are really really detailed, but some of the ones in California are much more detailed too and like for our first ride like I was just blown away in every single aspect of it. Having been on Dinosaur and knowing kind of what I was getting myself into, I just wasn't expecting you know, you know it's Indiana Jones. You know they have to do it up big. I wasn't expecting such a detailed queue, and I wasn't expecting such a cool ride. Because it's not just the queue, which is cool enough on its own, but the actual setting that the ride is in, and the animatronics, and what they bring you through. I mean, there's there's real fire. I mean, there's the 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 end. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but the way that the ride ends is just. Phenomenal. Everything about this is well-themed. It's well-executed. It's, it's still a smooth ride because this ride's like 25 years old now. That's the other right. thing. Um, but I absolutely loved it. Even just once you're out of the queue and they're loading you in, like everything is just 
themed so well because they have an old projector playing, you know, to set up the ride. You're traveling uh, into this adventure land and that that's what they're trying to do is promote the travel. And they tell you, you know, don't go into the temple of the forbidden eye. Don't take anything. Don't look at it. Be careful. Um, so they use this as the safety video to show you how to get in the car and buckle your seatbelt and everything. But even it, it's just done as an old time movie it puts you right in there it's so cool yeah um and you also have the enchanted tiki room over there which is cool because it i think this one runs a little bit longer than orlando's tiki room because mm-hmm. i we've seen the tiki room in orlando a few times and i remember even the last time we went feeling like it was a little bit shorter than it had been the first time we'd gone but what's nice about this is they have the dole whip stand right there and you can do the mobile ordering on the app, and we're going to talk plenty about the app. Oh, yeah. Um, but you can do the mobile ordering, and then you can pick it up right there outside the Tiki Room, and you can actually go into the show with your food. That was kind of cool. And, I mean, it, it's so smart, too, because I have to imagine what a moneymaker it is. You know, to a kid, this may not be, like, their favorite attraction. They want to go on a ride that actually moves. But you give them some ice cream, and then one kid has ice cream. Everybody wants ice cream. But I think what was most remarkable about the Tiki Room is not just that this was Walt's. Um, you know, and if you know the story behind it, um, he had gotten a little music box. that's like a bird in a cage. And he it, it stopped working. So he gave it to some kind of mechanic that would know how to fix it. It was one of his Imagineers. (coughs) No, they they disassembled it to see how it worked. That's what he told them to do. He said, figure out how this works and put it back together, make it work again. And And from there we got the Tiki Room. Right. Um, But one of my favorite moments from this trip, uh, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm sucking down my Dole Whip and I happen to look across the way at... And I see this woman. It's it's during the part where the um you know the the cockatoos descend and they're yeah. they're singing tweet tweet tweet, and I look across the way at this woman and she is by herself, no kids, no nothing, and she's sitting there enjoying her do- her Dole Whip, and she's just like sitting there swaying and singing, and she had to be like in her forties or fifties, and I'm I'm looking and I was like, this is Disney. This is what this place does to people. This is exactly what Walt mm-hmm. wanted, and and this is what it does. It's Disney magic. There's really no other way to describe it. And it wasn't just her. What I was what I was taken aback by is we've all seen how like the 1950s and 1960s like bubblegum pop music is sort of caricatured, or how things were shot like on the Mickey Mouse Club, and they'd pan the audience, and people would be swaying back and forth, bopping their heads and singing along, and it looks so staged. It's real. You see here what you don't see in Orlando. Yeah. That is a comparison I think that's fair to make, is that this ride, or this attraction rather, is, I feel like it's a, it means a lot more to California than it does out in Orlando. I think, the, if you have to make a comparison, here's the thing. Anaheim, I don't want to say, I don't want to say Disneyland is for the true Disney fans. Because you have so many true Disney fans that not only visit Walt Disney World, but have moved to Orlando because of Walt Disney World. Right. So it's not to say that you go to Disney World, you're not a real Disney fan, but Disneyland is less of a tourist attraction 
than Disney World. Right. You have a lot of, especially too, like international travel, right? People that when they come to the United States, they want to go see Disney World because it's the big one. It's the one that's advertised. It's the one with the four parks. People kind of forget about little old Disneyland. Right. We've all been rammed with the stroller, right? <laughs> We've all been run over by the scooter. That that doesn't really happen in Disneyland, which is amazing because the walkways are so much more narrow. Right. Yeah, you know, there's there's less of that feel of I gotta rush because yes. this is far more of a local park than anything else. And if somebody doesn't get on something today, they'll come back next week. Right. And to somebody who was visiting there and making a four day trip out of this experience. That didn't take away from me enjoying anything. Like, it didn't feel like everybody was just so casual about, like, oh, I can get here next weekend. Right. Um, So there is definitely an attitude change when it comes to Disneyland over Disney World. And these are a lot of people that are local to the area. Yeah, there, there are tourists, but there are a lot of people that this is just where they go. It's what they do. They love the park. They respect the park. They love the kitsch. They love the feel because this place is, in fact, a time capsule. Oh, yeah. Without question. Um, You have the Jungle Cruise there, which is another fun attraction. It's that familiarity, but it is a little bit different from the Jungle Cruise over in Orlando. Um, Actually, it runs backwards. It runs in the reverse of Orlando. And there's a scene with piranhas that you don't see coming. And you could tell right away who who are the regulars there and who are the Orlando Floridians. Yeah. Because oh, when the Orlando spy, ah, you know, when, <laughs> when the piranhas pop up because you don't see it coming. Right. But it was really cool. No, and it was kind of nice, too, because usually we're in Orlando for Christmas, so they do the Jingle Jungle Cruise. So it was kind of nice to just be able to go through old school. Yeah. Um, and then you pass through New Orleans Square and that's where Pirates of the Caribbean is. And My favorite part of the park. Hands- I mean, I love New Orleans and I've talked about it on the show, but it's it's stunning. Mm-hmm. This part of the park. I absolutely loved it. And this Pirates of the Caribbean is so different from the Pirates of the Caribbean that's in Orlando because it's a much longer attraction. Right. I mean, it's got to be twice as long. Some of that doesn't really show you anything other than going through some extra caves. Right. And you start in the bayou, which is a little strange, um, but you start in the bayou and you're taking a tour through the swamps, and then on the right is the Blue Bayou Restaurant. So you're eating in the restaurant, technically you're eating inside the attraction. The same way like when you're in the Mexico Pavilion at Epcot and you have the Three Caballeros tour, and then they have the Mexican restaurant right there. Very, very similar. That was one of my favorite parts of the ride, too, that bayou scene. It was so impressive because what I didn't know is they they do this little gag where they have fireflies floating through the bayou. And it was just such an amazing touch. And I was like, wow, this is this is really going to be impressive. Right. Um, But they have a few extra scenes in there. I feel like this tells the better story. Then Orlando, when you learn about the story of the pirate, and you're basically learning about the life of a pirate, starting with his death, learning about his life, and concluding on his death. Another full circle thing. You don't get that at Disney World. Um, they kind of just dump you right into the ride. There's Literally. not as much backstory. Um, this has a couple of drops, whereas the one in Disney only has the one. 
They're good drops, though. They are good. I this is this is definitely the better ride of the two Pirates of the Caribbeans. This one is better, but I will say that what I experienced on this that I never experienced in Orlando is the backup the backup of boats. Right. I kind of feel like, and maybe it's because the crowds in Anaheim have become so huge. I feel like they don't know how to stagger their boats properly. Yeah, because when you come back up, you get hit. You you get rear-ended from the boat behind you. Not just that one, but there's there's two or three boats. You kind of feel that bump multiple times. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And even before the first drop, before the first it drop, bottlenecks a little bit. And we got we got stuck twice before we even got into the actual attraction when we we got stuck at the blue bayou a couple of times right so th- i know that that they try to move people through as quickly as they can because crowds especially on a busy day are really high so it backs up all the rides and they're trying but if they eliminated three boats full of people you'd still get tons of people moving through the ride maybe it adds a 15 minute wait but i i personally would have rather waited 15 minutes than get backed up on the ride three times right to me, that took away. A little bit. What I did like about this ride, too, I mean, so much of it is very, very similar, but I feel like the movie draws from this ride more so than it does in Florida. I mean, in Florida, you've got your Spanish influence, but if you look into the history of why Walt designed this ride, um, first of all, interestingly enough, it was supposed to be a wax museum. Yeah, it was, it was supposed to be a, a complete, yeah. yeah, educational walkthrough. And with the success of It's a Small World over at the World's Fair, they said, well, why not boats? Especially, too, like when you think about it, it obviously lends itself so much to the ride. Like, how could you not? Um, but the interesting thing was, I believe it was based off of the Battle of New Orleans. And that's where he got the idea to do Pirates from. And the name of the building, which escapes me now, uh, was, was named... Um, for um i think a captain in that battle um and that's why they do it in new orleans square but i i saw more parallels to the film as far as starting off in the governor's house with his daughter because that's kind of how you're starting off here is with with the home and on the streets of new orleans and then it takes you to the bayou and i feel like there's um you know, some people will make the argument that you're you're time traveling through the bayou. A lot of people say that the, um, you know, the guy sitting on uh, his houseboat deck, that he was a pirate. And this is a look back at his life. Um, so I didn't I didn't really feel one way or the other, um, you know, as far as agreeing with either storyline. Um, I kind of like the idea of both, actually. Mm-hmm. Um from there, you move on to the Haunted Mansion, which is also in New Orleans Square. Now, what needs to be pointed out is that, unlike Orlando, if you walk out of one attraction, you'll walk into the next one in 40 seconds. They're not that far spread out, you know? Before we get on Haunted Mansion, though, we got to back up and talk about Red. Because that was the only thing I did not like about Pirates of the Caribbean. I hate that I feel like I didn't get to fully experience you know, the original ride because I was so distracted by this was our first time riding without the auction of bride scene. We wants the redhead. Yes. And we still do. But people were booing when we got into that scene. Like, I people did. People were, not just you though. I did. Half yeah. the boat started booing when we got into that scene of that ride. Look, I, I understand why they changed it. However, 
I am really not easily offended. Like it takes a lot to get me. And so maybe, maybe, you know, it's not fair of me to say like, oh, it wasn't that bad. You know, it really didn't bother me that much. They've already changed this ride in the scene where the pirates are pillaging the village. Um, The pirates used to chase the women around because they went ashore and they haven't seen women in a while and there's something that they want. Right. So, all right, you want to modernize it a little bit. Now the women chase the pirates out of town. You give them a little bit of empowerment. Okay, fine. This is an iconic scene as part of this ride. And not only have they changed it, you know, when they did the refurb where they added Johnny Depp, it fit the story. It works. And, you know, now you've got this huge IP. How do you not put him into the ride? So, okay, fine. I feel like they took too much liberty with this and what they did doesn't even really make sense. And then, as if that's not enough, once you get off the ride and into the gift shop, they sting you. There is so much red merchandise and it's like, yay, we love her now. Here's red. Buy the merch. Buy into this. And I was kind of like, no, I won't. And what my fear is now that we've learned about this reboot of Pirates of the Caribbean, the film, I am afraid that this is why they're doing it. It is. And I'm all for having a strong female pirate and telling a different story. But... If that's your reasoning behind it, because we had to cater to changing this ride, and now you're changing an entire franchise, I'm sorry, but that's going too far. No, but they're going to do it, so <laughs> they're going to do it. Well, boo. Yeah. Good thing Haunted Mansion came next. It took my mind right off of it. Haunted Mansion came next. We got to see the holiday overlay with um, Nightmare Before Christmas. What What's interesting about this ride and so many of these, you know, we talk about the queues before. The, most of these queues are outside. It's not like at Disney World where you'll be outside for a few minutes and then go indoors. Or you're coming under the building. Right. Or you're only outside because the line is so long. These lines primarily are outdoors until you get on the attraction. Right. So that takes a little getting used to. But because it doesn't rain all that much and you don't have the humidity in Southern California, it actually makes for a a fairly pleasant experience what i love about this is that you walk right up to the mansion yeah like you are up against the building yep you're not just going in underneath um it was cool um i thought that the overlay was was fun to see they did a nice job decorating inside nice job decorating outside um i'm happy i got to see it but i will say i'm glad that this is not in orlando based on the time of the year that we go we always go that first week of November if I could if I if if you told me you're you're never going to see Haunted Mansion proper I would be annoyed that's so funny this was my favorite ride is Indiana Jones a better attraction overall yes did I want to see the original Haunted Mansion yes with that being said I geeked out so hard with everything that they did. I mean, the the amount of detail and touches that they put, this isn't, I, I feel weird even calling it an overlay. It's almost like they do a complete refurb for Nightmare Before Christmas. And it's so smart because you can use it for Halloween and then just play it right on through the season. Um, they they redid the voiceover. Um, you know, there's there's really not one thing that they left with Haunted Mansion except for the the dining room. And right. the, the dining room scene with all the ghosts, 
Um, I I loved it. You get the smell of the gingerbread house. It was cool. I liked it, but it's not something I want to see every time I go to Disney. Which, if they did this in Orlando, is just based on when we go. Right. I'd only ever see this version of it. The same way you said you like seeing um, Jungle Cruise proper, other than Jingle Cruise. Jingle Cruise is a little overlay. They change the jokes a little bit, but and they decorate it, but otherwise it's the same ride. This is almost completely different. Yeah, like I, I did miss my original Haunted Mansion, and I did miss the music a lot, but what they did was just so cool. Yeah. Critter Country's next. We didn't spend a lot of time there. Splash Mountain is there. You get soaked on it more so than you get wet in uh, Orlando. Completely soaked. Yeah. Winnie the Pooh was there. Uh, that attraction, again, very similar. Not going to spend a lot of time on it. Um, you then hook around to Frontierland, which, again, we didn't spend a ton of time in. Um, we did go on um, the uh, the runaway train there. Big Thunder Mountain. Um, it's it's cool. It's a cool attraction. I I don't think it's quite as wild as the one in Orlando. Um, in different ways. I feel like the one in Orlando whips you a little bit, but this one, um, like I said, I'm not a roller coaster person, so I noticed more. There were periods of complete blackout, and of course, I'm in tune to that because I couldn't see the track in front of me, and I was like, oh god, is there a drop coming? Um. So in that regard, for me, it was scarier. Right. Um, going into Fantasyland, this is where if you're somebody that that really um, has the soft spot for old attractions that you haven't seen in a long time, Fantasyland is the place for you because you have um, Snow White's Scary Adventure. And you, Pinocchio. And Pinocchio. But though Pinocchio... Pinocchio was not in Orlando. No, but just as far as having like a classic dark ride... It was nice to to see Pinocchio represented in the parks. Yeah, and both of them are pretty cool. Um, I was excited to ride Mr. Toad again. Oh, for sure. I miss Mr. Toad. Um, given I don't know how well a ride would do in Orlando that spits you out in hell, um, but <laughs> but they kept it in, in Fantasyland in Anaheim, and it was cool to see. Um, I think that light, though, at the end with the train... I don't think it's as bright. I mean, maybe I just remember it differently as a child, but I remember being blinded by that train headlight, and this, I didn't think it was so bad. Right. They might have dialed back on it. Hooking back to the back end of Fantasyland um, is where It's a Small World is. This ride is so different from the small world in Orlando. The holiday overlay, now this is one where they did a holiday overlay, and it was spectacular. Yeah, it was stunning. The only thing that I couldn't get into with this, and it's funny because the people from Orla- from California can't get into one in Orlando. This one is a little bit longer than the Orlando one, but they have characters, Disney characters, in the attraction. And for some reason, maybe it's just familiarity. Maybe it's because when I go on It's a Small World, it's because I'm doing something that isn't Peter Pan, that isn't Toy Story. I kind of like that it it just is what it is. Right. And that it is kind of separate. It's the same reason why I enjoy going to Epcot and why a lot of people from California can't get into Epcot because you don't have a ton of characters there. It doesn't feel like a Disney park to them. It does to me because it's what's familiar to me. But I sort of like that pullback for just a few minutes. So to have characters in that attraction to me is just, just, it's nice, but it's kind of weird. 
I mean, I get it because if they were trying to promote Disney at the World's Fair, yeah, I see exactly what you were trying to do. But I feel like the characters didn't even necessarily fit in the countries that they were with. Like, I think you had Alice in Wonderland in England. Okay, sure. But then I feel like you had Winnie the Pooh somewhere else. And that is an English story. Right. Um, so it's it's definitely, it, it, at times it feels a little disjointed. Um Mickey's Toontown is on the very back end of the park. Um, and it's cool to be in Toontown again. We haven't had it in a long time since they took it away in Orlando. Um, Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin was fun. Um, I loved it's it. It's sort of a dark ride, but the taxi cab that you're in, you can actually, you control it. You can actually spin it. Um, like a teacup. Yeah. So it's really cool. Um, and if you love Roger Rabbit like I do, it's just cool to see Roger's representation in the parks because you otherwise don't get it in Orlando anymore. Right. And that was something that we had said when we reviewed Roger Rabbit was I wonder if it's just how we feel that he's all but disappeared from Orlando. If it's the same in California, I feel like he's better represented in the parks. But I feel like most of the people that were going on that ride were our age and it was more of a nostalgic thing than people going on that ride with kids yeah absolutely i feel like it was a lot more couples that i saw going on there yeah yeah um we don't talk about the matterhorn because it was down for refurb it opened up two days after we came you home. really wanted to go on that i, I know so i really wanted to but wasn't meant to be guess we're gonna have to go back um now you make your u-turn you cut back through Fantasyland, go into tomorrowland um they have the Finding Nemo submarine over there, um, which is the old um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the Finding Nemo submarine voyage. And it's the same exact ride, except they have some Nemo projections and some Nemo animatronics. And that Sean didn't cry this time. Oh, yeah. All right, so here's the story. Back in 1990, I went to Disney World for the first time. My parents took me. I was four years old. My dad and I went on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and you go under the water, you go into the cave, and you're seeing fish, and you're seeing scuba divers and treasure, and it looks really cool, and it's a lot of fun. Then your submarine gets attacked by a squid, and the lights go out, and they tell you that they've lost control. And when you're four years old, and you're in the dark, and it's a very tight space, you get scared. So it freaked me out. And you busted my chops about this for years. However, having now been on this attraction, do you see where that would be terrifying for a four-year-old? Absolutely, because I never got to go on when I was a kid. My dad went, um, and I waited. But, um, or I, I mean, I waited with the rest of my family, obviously. I wasn't expecting so much of the original to still be on this ride. I thought it was totally going to be like in, you know, Nemo's Adventure in Florida and Epcot where you sit in a clamshell and you go around. I knew they still did the boats, but I thought they just kind of took you around the lake. I didn't know that you still went through all the tunnel and how long the ride was. They essentially left everything there. They just did a little bit of a Nemo overlay. So, yeah, I see where to a kid, especially that you can't get out. I'm not claustrophobic. Um, and I thought that that was going to bother me a little bit. It didn't at all. But I could see where, as a kid, you would feel trapped where, yeah, it would bother you. So, after we did that, I made my way over to Space Mountain because you're not going to do Space Mountain. Nope. Um, though, you actually, you could have done Space Mountain. Like, I wish I would have known because you can do roller coasters. You just can't do the drops where you lose your stomach. Yeah. The difference between this Space Mountain and the one in Orlando, 
I think the one in Orlando is better. Um, because I think it's more of a thrill ride. This is thrilling in in the idea that you don't know where you're going because it's pitch black and all you see is stars. But you don't have the drops on this one. It's more of those like those those banked Thanks. those banked you know spiral turns. Um, it's a great ride. It's really smooth. It's smoother than the one in Orlando. Um, but um, it, it's a great ride. But I think the one in Orlando. It's it's better for me because it's more of a thrill. But if you don't like the thrilling rides with the big drops, Space Mountain in Anaheim is what you should try. I wish we would have known because I could have gotten you on it. I think you would have enjoyed it. No, and it seats too. That's right. the other one. Is in Florida. You're just by yourself. Right. Um, we did Star Tours, which is the exact same thing as the one over in Studios. But what I liked about this was that we got a lot of scenes and characters from the Last Jedi. Yeah, so, like you started with Kylo Ren. Right, and we got Poe Dameron. Yeah. And you ended up in the, the salt fields with the red salt. Um, so it was really cool to see that because I've never seen that video before. Um, it wasn't pod racing. So anytime I can go on that ride and I don't see pod racing, it's a good day. Um, but seeing that was really cool. And then we did um, the Astro Blaster, um, Buzz Lightyear's Astro Blasters, which is... The same ride as Buzz Lightyear's Space Ranger Spin. The difference being that these weapons, the guns that you use, are not fixed into the vehicle. They're on a cable, so you can pick them up and maneuver them wherever you want. And I believe that all the point values are the same because They're you have gotten Galactic Hero yes. in Florida. And, I've, and I couldn't break 180,000 here. I usually don't get off that ride f for less than half a million points. I think the point values are different. Yeah. On this ride than they are in Orlando. Um, and that basically brings you around the whole park. And that's those are just the attractions that we did. That's not all the attractions that are in the park. But there are some things that we had prioritized over others. Oh, I forgot. When we did, went, to, went to Fantasyland, we also did the Alice in Wonderland, which yeah. was another dark ride. Which was cool, actually. That one I liked a lot. It was a long ride. Yeah, and I like that it spits you out... And the last scene is the is the Mad Hatter's tea party, and then the teacups are right next to it. So I thought that that was kind of cool that one feeds you right into the other. And we did Walt's Railroad. We did of the course. train around, which was nice. That was impressive because there's like a whole animatronic scene with dinosaurs, and I was like, for a railroad ride that you're really just using to get to the other end of the park, like it was so detailed, which yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Um now that we've talked about the attractions, we didn't really catch a lot of shows because we wanted to see Mickey and the Magical Map, but closed. but it was closed because that theater was down for refurb. Um, and we didn't we didn't watch a ton of Fantasmic because, admittedly, we have seen it every time we go to MGM. But the other thing is that that's not a show that was meant to be in this park, but they put it in there because they wanted a nighttime show. Like, there's no amphitheater for it. You're kind yeah, of that just, was weird. They're sta you're standing on the sidewalks. And it's roped off so that you can stand on the sidewalk and observe the show, but then part of the walkway is free so people can walk by. And to be honest with you, it's a pain to navigate to that side of the park, which is the Adventureland, Frontierland, New Orleans Square, Critter Country. It's such a pain to navigate your way towards that side of the park when that show is going on at about 8.30. You're better off going to Tomorrowland. Though that's not much better because 
that's really the only spot that you can go because Fantasyland and Toontown are closed because they're prepping for fireworks. And that's where they shoot them off from. So so basically, you're stuck in a crowd. That's the thing. Like That was the difference between... That was the big thing that stood out between this and Orlando is that Orlando was built so that you had independent spots for all of these shows and attractions where they didn't interfere with the flow or the operation of what was going on in the park otherwise. They learned that from having this park first. Obviously, this park, I don't want to say it's a beta test, but your second park's always going to be a little bit better than the first one because they can learn from the mistakes that they made. Sure. So that's the one thing to keep in mind is that if you are in the park between, say, 8.30 and 10 o'clock, it's going to get really crammed because you lose you lose a third of the park that goes closed because of the fireworks and the other two-thirds of the park that are there are totally crammed because you're either running to Tomorrowland and the rides are crowded or you're trying to make your way to these other lands and it's crowded because you have this show and the walkways are so narrow to begin with. That's the only time where I really felt the size of the park and it, it felt a little small was when it got crowded right. like that. But now that we've gotten through all of that, um, I think we we have to talk about at least some of the food. We didn't eat a ton of food in the Disneyland, the quote-unquote Magic Kingdom portion, but the food that we did have is the food that everybody tells you you should eat. What blew me away was how much food there was. You know, we're talking about this park feeling a little bit smaller, but they had so much room for so many eateries, like so many sit-down eateries. Well, there were a lot of restaurants. Right, because originally this was a park. This is where people would go for the day and spend time with their families. So there's a lot of places here to get off your feet for a little while and grab a bite. But I did have the corn dog on Main Street. Everybody tells you you got to have it's the best corn dog in the world is what they tell you, and they're not lying. It is the best corn dog in the world. We also had the beignets, which were really, really good. That was That was kind of a nice experience just to sit there like with, your morning coffee and and sit at the cafe and kind of just watch the park go by. Yeah. Um, you know, they were good, but I feel like that's more about the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the donuts, which were This was all not all in the same day, by the way. I feel like I should just preface that. Um, but we did get the donuts. Um, they were crazy. They they they're huge, first of all. Um, and and what they did with the, I I had a churro donut. It was insane. And I feel like donuts are such a thing in SoCal. It's weird. Like Randy's donuts are the best donuts I've ever had, hands down. They were better than the ones anywhere. Disney's were close. Randy's were better. But it's just so weird. That that's a big thing. I can understand churros because of the proximity to Mexico, but donuts I don't understand. They were delicious, though. I'm not complaining about it. Right. But yeah, the churros, oh they're my God. everywhere. Not only are they everywhere, they're huge. If you're from the Northeast, you're used to getting a churro at the mall or at Costco. Right. That is not what happens when you go to Disneyland. There's a reason why people talk about the churros in Disneyland. You have to have them. Yeah. And that that's like what I dream about now now that they're not there. It's not just the it's it's a well done churro. It's crispy on the outside, it's doughy on the inside, but they do so many flavors. Yeah. But they, they said there's like fifty five different varieties of churro right now. Yeah, we probably tried half of them. <laughs> I'd say it was close. Um, and they're they're like five fifty. They're not crazy expensive, and they're huge. Yeah, they are huge churros. Um, 
the Blue Bayou was the restaurant that we ate in mm. in Disneyland. Um, the food there was really, really good. Like, I thought for certain that was going to be the best meal that we had. And then we jumped over to California Adventure, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But the meal at Blue Bayou, I had um, what I had, like a roasted chicken, and it was so good. It was so juicy and so tender. It was one of the best pieces of chicken I've ever had. Yeah, I had um, I had a pork chop, and it was it was so good. Um, that was one of the, like the meal was delicious, but to me that was another thing where like the experience overall is what really took it because you're sitting on Pirates of the Caribbean. And what's interesting is that the restaurant did open with a ride. So that is something that's been there since the beginning. Right. And you're kind of just watching the boats pass by and it's it's a nice experience and the food is great. That was I was eating on Pirates of the Caribbean and nothing was more exciting to me. I think it's something that if you if you're definitely a first timer to Disneyland, it's something that you need to experience without question. And surprisingly the reservation was not all that hard to get. I really thought that was something we were gonna have to fight for. When you have to make your reservations at, at Orlando or in Orlando, you have to do those six months in advance. You like you can make reservations days in advance, right? At Disney World or at uh, Disneyland, I should say. That's a big difference between the two as well. But you know that kind of wraps up the Disneyland experience for us. I mean, we could sit here and gush and talk more about it, but at that point, you're kind of repeating yourself. It's just it's something that needs to be experienced because it it definitely has a different feel, even from Magic Kingdom in Orlando. The feel right. of the magic is different. And the staff, while still Disney cast members and, and they're outstanding, the staff is different. There's just This park has such a different feel from anything that you're used to if you've ever gone to Walt Disney World in Orlando. And I think that if you love Disney, you have to experience this. Um, I will say that. That, I think, is an area that we can compare. Um, I think the staff in Orlando is better. Um, that's not to say that the staff in California was not good um, because they were wonderful. You know, they're very professional. Everybody's friendly. But I feel like Orlando goes that extra mile because it is more of a vacation destination as opposed to a local park. And I think that they recognize more that for some families, this is once in a lifetime. Right. And they're just so much more over the top about everything, especially too. um, We did get one of the cast members was nice enough. We were just kind of sparking up a conversation. We said, we happened to mention it was our first time in Disneyland. Oh, because we were going, I think we were going to look at a photo pass or something. And um, we were like, sorry, you know, it's our first time here. We, We weren't sure how to go about this. And he was like, oh, okay. And he gave us a first timer pin. And he was really the only one who acknowledged it. Not everybody was like, oh, welcome. Hope you're enjoying your first. Not the way that when we've had pins in Florida where everybody calls out, oh, happy birthday, happy anniversary. It's so much more of a bigger thing. Yeah, without question. That that is that's a big difference between the two. And that's really I feel like the only blanket statement that I can make about California versus Florida. Um otherwise Disneyland was just so special in its own right. And I enjoyed it so much more than I expected to. I mean, I knew I was going to like it. Um and I knew I was going to enjoy the trip, but I didn't expect to fall in love with it in its own way the way that I did with Florida. So the second day that we were on property, we went to Disney's California Adventure. Now, unbeknownst to us, and again, another little tip for your back pocket, um, we had bought the two-day park hopper with the Disney Max Pass, and they tell you that you get the early morning magic hours. 
but that doesn't mean that you get them every single day. Good point. Which we didn't know. So we got to Disney's California Adventure at 7 o'clock in the morning with everybody else to find out that after they let us in, we could not actually go anywhere in the park because we were not staying on property. And we had to wait an hour to eat cookie num-nums. Oh, yeah, cookie num-nums. We'll talk about those in a few minutes. But the upside to that was we were in the park early, and they scanned the Fast Pass in. So the way that they scan the ticket, so the way that the Fast Pass works, if you have Disney Max Pass, and we'll review that in the app in a few minutes, is that it's it's activated. The, the ability to get Fast Passes is activated after they scan your ticket in for the day. So to get Radiator Springs Racers, those Fast Passes go so fast. I mean... I want to say by 9 o'clock in the morning, they were sold out for the day. For the day, yeah. So the benefit to us getting there early was we were able to get the tickets scanned, activate the passes um, for the day, and get the fast passes almost immediately. Because our fast passes for that particular ride, I think we had gotten them for like... 9 o'clock, and the park opened at 8. So. Well, we actually, we had Midway Mania, and then we relinquished that Fast Pass in favor of That's Radiator right. Springs, and we were a- actually able to get on Midway Mania with about a 20-minute wait, which wasn't bad at all. Correct. And, of course, the line had built up because people that were staying on property um, in their three hotels um, built up the lines pretty good before they even let us in. But to everybody's credit... Um, it was a rope drop for all intents and purposes, but it wasn't hostile. You know, most people were pretty calm and pretty cool about it. Like, I know there have been times where it's been like this, when we're in Orlando and it's like the scene in Jurassic Park where it's just go, 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 go. I was thinking Home Alone when they're about to miss the plane, but yeah, same thing. So the first thing we did when we got there, because we had the fast passes for Cars Land starting at 9, was we shot right over to Pixar Pier, which is not something we usually do. We kind of like to work in order when we do these things. but mid- Especially being in a new park. Right. But Midway Mania didn't have a big wait, so we shot right over there. Like Jackie said, we're on within 20 minutes. Um, I was hoping to get on Incredicoaster right away. Um, that did not happen because Incredicoaster was broken down. Um, Incredicoaster breaks down a lot. Yeah. Like, a lot. This particular day that we were at DCA, we were there at 7 o'clock in the morning, and that attraction did not open for the day until 4.30 in the afternoon. Yeah, it was later. It was, it was bad. And, um... You know, what happens is when something like that happens, if you have a fast pass for that ride, you get a go anywhere fast pass. And that sort of drives people to go to other attractions up to and including um, Radiator Springs Racers. So when a big attraction like that goes down, it really does kind of kill fast pass for a lot of the other big attractions, especially when you can take it anywhere. Yeah. From Incredicoaster being down, I believe the standby for radiator Springs was about three hours. And I think when we went back with the fast pass, we still had to wait about 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It was a long wait. Um, worth it. Worth it though. Um, we did get a cookie num num for breakfast. I'm not afraid to say that out loud. Um, <laughs> and then we headed on over to uh, to Cars Land. Now we were in Pandora last year um, in November, and I was blown away by Pandora. I still am. Pandora's great, um, and Flight of Passage is amazing. But the detail 
in Cars Land, the detail in Radiator Springs is something that, as great as Pandora is, right now, no area on any at least domestic Disney property, because I can't speak to the international properties, but there's no property with the detail or with the um, beauty or the amazement of Cars Land right now. Yeah, you can tell that they really had some fun with this one, and the thought that they put into it is unbelievable. I mean, they really... I feel like even more so than Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is that I was scaled down and put in this world. That's really the only thing that I can compare it to. And I mean, not that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was even that amazing to you when you were a kid. It was really cool and it was a lot of fun. But I've never, and granted, we haven't done Toy Story Land yet. I think Toy Story Land is going to pale in comparison to this, to be honest. Um, just based on what I've heard about it and just based on, I, I love Toy Story, but I love Cars too. And I love that each car still had their own section and it wasn't like a forced perspective where you're just walking through. Kind of like um, how they have the pool at the Art of Animation Resort and it's modeled after Radiator Springs. It's really cool. It's a nice little area, but it's just one aspect of it. This, they immerse you in all of Cars Land. Yeah, and um, especially in the evening, when all of the neon is up, it just glows. I mean, it, it, you can see it from the other side of the park, just that, that neon glow emanating into the, into the sky. I mean, it was just... I can't oversell how, how impressive it is. And to be honest with you, I knew it was going to be cool, but I really didn't envision walking away from that part of the park as blown away as I am. Yeah, it it was just incredible. Dusk is really the time to go. Like it looks cool at night, but there's not I think it really like captures the film too because I'm thinking of the part where Lightning McQueen uh is is driving out really into the desert for the first time and I, I feel like that's that's the essence that it really captures by going by going at dusk. Um and as far as the rides, they're the best in that park. Um, Radiator Springs Racers is absolutely amazing. Yes, it is test track, but they did make a couple of alterations to fit the theme. Um, and it's amazing. And probably my biggest takeaway and my biggest surprise of this whole trip was Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. That stupid ride is so <laughs> incredible. I loved it. Yeah, Um Radiator Springs Racers was brilliant. It's what you thought it was going to be. Um, the theming is great. The ride itself is great. But I did not expect to walk away from Mater's going, that was one of my favorite rides of the trip. <laughs> it makes no sense to say that unless you've been on it. And when we saw it, it was the Jingle Jamboree. Yes. So they had him singing holiday music. And there's nothing like traveling 3,000 miles across the continent to hear Larry the Cable Guy sing a rendition of the Dreidel song, but about tractors. It was worth the price of admission. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, and Luigi's. So Luigi had um, an attraction forgive me for a second the joy uh, joy to the world is what they called it um because again everything was holiday themed and it's kind of like 
a toned down version of Mater in that you do kind of whirl around a little bit. It's not quite as jarring, so it's good for little kids, but it's it's not until you really sit there and watch it for a long time, and even more so when you're on the ride, that you realize that every car is in sequence and it's actually a dance number. Yeah, they spin, but not not like the teacup ride. Like it doesn't spin on its own axis. Each car is spinning and they're they're choreographed and you're doing these dance numbers while you're in a car. It's insane. And there's no track below, so we figured it had to be magnetic. It's got something magnetic or, or some kind of program where they can like remotely program the cars, but it, it, it was wild. Yeah, but whatever it was, it was awesome. Um, after that, we went back to Pixar Pier because at this point, we decided to go to the Lamplight Lounge, get off our feet, have a cocktail, and just kind of take in the park. Um, and then... I noticed that um, Incredicoaster was running again. So I said, all right, let me go over there and let me get on it. Um, and I was able to get on it. And it's a really fun ride. I didn't think, based on what I had heard, I didn't think the theming was going to make any sense. Um, I kind of thought that they were just painting it Incredibles colors and they were slapping a new name on it. But the the ride does have a story and it does have a premise. And the premise basically is that Edna Mode is being left to babysit Jack-Jack and he gets out and you have to go with the Incredibles to find him. And um, the launch system that the ride has, um, you're with Dash and Dash gets a countdown going and then he takes off and he kind of pushes the coaster going. The, the best thing is that when you're going through the second tunnel, they, they pipe in the smell of cookie num-nums. Which if you've not gone to have a cookie num-num at this point, you're what are going, you doing with your life? You're going to go have a cookie num-num. Um, in all, it's a fun ride. Not the smoothest coaster I've ever been on. Um, there's one loop, but um, it's a long ride. I'll say that. I think that these rides, and the same can be said for Disney World in Orlando with the exception of maybe um, Goofy's um, uh, the, the Kid Coaster. The, the uh, Barnstormer. The Barnstormer. With the exception of that, you get good value for your dollar on these rides. I mean, they are long attractions. Yeah. This was a really long roller coaster. And it was a lot of fun. The theming was great. Um, after that, we went over to Carthay Circle. They have the restaurant there, and it's you know, it's it's the high end dining in the rest in the in the park. This restaurant, I thought that Blue Bayou was good. But the food that we had at Carthay Circle blew that other restaurant, Blue Bayou, out of the water. Yeah, it was great. They did like a fall menu it was kind of kind of like a rustic fall menu like i had gnocchi and a brown sauce and it was really really good yeah and i had what was it it was like a, a pumpkin ravioli no i didn't have pumpkin i had brisket short rib ravioli yes it was a short rib ravioli it, not pumpkin um with autumn vegetables those were okay at best they were a little overpowering but but the ravioli itself was absolutely phenomenal and then from there, we went over and did one of our favorites, which is the animation class, which we would make sure we hit that up no less than two or three times when we'd go to MGM Studios, but they no longer have the animation building there. Now, that's that's where Star Wars Launch Bay is located. It's blasphemous. Um, but they still do it at Disney's California Adventure, and if you've never done it before, you really should do it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's... It's awesome. It's it's just, I mean, first of all, it's a nice way to get off your feet, but there's something like so soothing and relaxing about sitting there in the class, but the animators are so good and 
for somebody like me, I really don't have a lot of skill. Um, they really get you to draw the characters pretty close. Yeah, every time we've done it, we've done really, really nice renditions. The only one that I wasn't happy with was when we did uh, Minnie from Steamboat Willie. That was the second one that we did. The first one we did was Zero from Nightmare Before Christmas, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, Minnie was actually hard. Yeah, and, I, and that that particular animator was moving a little too quick. Yeah, I felt like he was kind of just trying to get us out the door because it was one of the last classes of the day. And I remember I'd be shading something, I'd look up, and he'd be three steps ahead. And I really didn't, I couldn't figure out how he did what he did. Yeah, because the same thing. I I can barely draw a stick figure, much less um, you know a classic Disney character, which is part of why I enjoy going to this class. And you get to walk away with a souvenir because you get to keep your drawing. I mean, right. we we must have twenty of them. Oh, the easily. Course of the years. And then from there, I went and did what is not the best ride on the property, but this ride was the most fun ride that I have. I go, I dare say, this is the most fun ride I've ever been on in a Disney park. Wow. And that was Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. I. There's just, listen, I'm a sucker for classic rock to begin with, and I love Guardians of the Galaxy, and I love the Tower of Terror. So when you take all of that and put it together, it's just something that's, it's it's tailor-made for me. And when I heard that they had changed the theme here, I thought, there's no way that's going to work. I kind of need to stop saying that when it comes to Disney. Yeah, we need a little more faith. On on rare occasion have they ever let us down. In no way, shape, or form do they let you down here. The premise of the ride is that you're going into the collector's um, building where he keeps his collection. I don't want to say the collector's collection, but that's exactly what you're going to do. You're going into Tivon's correct uh, collection, and he's showing off that he has captured the Guardians of the Galaxy. And Rocket breaks out, and while you're in the lift to go to the exhibit... He takes it over to break everybody out and mayhem ensues. And that's where you get the up and down. Because uh, I wasn't sure exactly how they were going to make that work. But it was it was awesome. And they're blasting music in there. But what was interesting for me was I was actually online. I had a fast pass. I was online uh, at that attraction when the news broke that Stan Lee had passed away. Yeah. And... While this was announced, I'm watching Stan Lee on the screen in the attraction because they used him as an exhibit the same way they did in the film. It's one of his classic cameos. Yeah. And when I tell you that grown men crying inside the attraction, I'm not lying about that. It was um, it was quite a place to be. Certainly not the news that you ever wanted to hear, but quite the place to be when that news broke. And I got on that ride twice. The first time I got Hit Me With Your Best Shot by Pat Benatar. She's a Long Island gal, so we've been listening to Pat Benatar forever. So I was excited for that, and I actually do like that song a lot. But the second time around, it was right as the park was closing. There was a five-minute wait. I didn't have a fast pass, but I ran for it. I got on. I was one of the last people that they let on the ride. We actually were the last... We were the last lift of the night because um, I got on at like 9.59 and that part closed at 10 o'clock. So they they load us in. We start backing up into into the lift and they start hit playing Hit Me With Your Best Shot again. And I was like, okay, that's fine because I know that there's like six different songs that they play and we actually broke the ride 
the ride broke down. For some reason, in both parks that you and I were in over the course of those three and a half days, I think we broke four rides. Yeah, we've never had that kind of luck on Florida. I'll we got up to Big Thunder Mountain with a fast pass, and we they were, were about in. to load us in, and they were like, nope, broken, come back later. And then I went to go get on the Incredicoaster when it broke the first time. I was in Guardians when it broke, and then it happened again at Pinocchio's Journey. Right. We were maybe two cars away from getting yeah, in, yeah, and yeah. that broke. I will say that. There, if there was any disappointment in regards to these parks at all, it's that these rides, I don't know why. I don't know if it's the age, although some of them are new, because Radiator Springs went down for like an hour and a half, too. I don't know why, but this park both of them in particular have so many breakdowns. Yeah. And that was one thing that I do have to say was kind of disappointing. I mean, at the end of the day, we got on not just everything we wanted to, we got on everything. Um, except for that one ride in Tomorrowland, the, you know, the rockets. And we didn't get on Peter Pan and we didn't get on Peter Pan, but, Peter Pan is an 80-minute wait no matter what park you're in. Yeah. But anyway, um, that was the one thing that was kind of disappointing because this is where you do feel like it's a local park. Because if you don't get on something, 9 out of 10 people are like, all right, I'll get it next weekend. This is a trip that we're not going to get to take that often. So I don't want to say it's once in a lifetime for us, but... It's not like we can just go hit it next week. And that was a little disappointing in that regard because there wasn't the emphasis on, well, these people are only here for a week and this is the only shot that they have to get on and let's fix this as soon as humanly possible. I'm not saying, I mean, I'm no mechanic. I don't know what it takes to fix these rides, but I certainly did feel that there wasn't the same sense of urgency. There was one point where in Fantasyland at Disneyland, um, Pinocchio... Snow White and Toad were all down at the same time. And not just because of the fireworks. No, they were just they were just broken down. And they're all within a stone's throw of each other and that that eliminates more than half of Fantasyland. Yeah, I f- feel like th- that's the other thing too is that there's not as much emphasis on thinning the herds because when you've got th- those three rides down, like of course everybody's probably going to go for Alice in Wonderland at that point. Um so so that was something you know where it's like that trial and error aspect where Florida gets it right but unfortunately California doesn't because how could they have ever known the masses of people that they were going to draw in and mm-hmm. and that at times you do have to have similar things going on or a show where you can thin that hurt out a little bit right so when guardians broke down they moved us into another shaft and they apologized and they gave us you know the the guy basically said hey you're the last ride of the night we just as a staff here want to dedicate this last ride in the memory of stan lee it was a nice little moment where they kind of broke character Mm. um which is something that i feel like you wouldn't see in orlando these cast members broke character and didn't care when they did it right um which you would think i would say is a negative but i actually sort of appreciated it um and in this case definitely and they gave us a good ride and then we got burn in love by elvis presley and i think that they kind of gave us a few extra drops because of the four times i got on guardians of the galaxy what was i get on three three times four times no i got on four times of the four times that i got on for whatever reason this particular time 
was significantly longer than the other rides. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. I mean, we were in the park until like 1230. Right. Well, not, not there. It closed at, it closed at 10 o'clock. We were walking out around 11. Right. Um, but I should say, as we're going in order here, let's go back in time to the first time I rode Guardians. I just wanted to throw in that last ride story just to kind of give you a story. After I got out of it the first time, which was mid-afternoon, we walked over to the Hyperion Theater and went to go see the Frozen show. And oh we, were told, we were told, this is an hour-long show. And to the point where we didn't know if we were actually going to do it. And I said, I heard it's great. What do you want to do? You love Frozen. I, I enjoy Frozen. We said, you know what? Let's go. And if worse comes to worse, if we dislike it, we can always get up and leave. I would have sat there and watched the next performance two hours later. It was that good. It's not like the show at MGM where they have those two hilarious storytellers come out and kind of tell you the story of Frozen and, you know, they interject with the musical numbers. This was like a full-on Broadway play quality where they do the story full out, and it was amazing. Yeah, it. Uh, the thing with the, um, with the MGM show is that those storytellers make or break the entire show. Yeah. Like, we've seen it where I've been, like, I've been doubled over laughing at them. And then the last time we saw it, last year when we went down, it was just okay. Yeah, because sometimes, like, they'll play to the adults in the crowd that, like, they know that their children are dragging them there. And they'll they'll play it up a little bit. And it's hilarious. That's what makes it so funny. It's almost, you know, almost like a Jungle Cruise thing where the skippers are kind of in on the joke. Yeah. Um. No, this was, like, a full-out performance. For what appears to be a small space, the inside is enormous. It's huge. And the sets are absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. And they have these projections. It's just so cool. Yeah. And they do um, Olaf as a as a puppet, but like a full scale. He's like attached to the performer's body. It's amazing. Yeah. It was really cool. After that, we jumped over and did Monsters, Inc., the Mike and Sully to the rescue. It's Okay. I mean, it's better than what it was. It's better than what it was. For those of you who don't know, it used to be an attraction called Superstar Limousine. Go to YouTube, watch it, try to forget what you've seen, and move on with your life. Oh, we'll post a link for it. Yeah, we're gonna have to. It's really, it's really bad. So this is definitely an upgrade. Um, it was cute. I think, I think I like Laugh Factory better. If we're gonna go oh, the Laugh, Monsters even, Inc. comparison, don't even get me. It's there's no comparison. Laugh Factory buries this. Like, I'll put it to you this way. We got on this once. The next time we go out there, I don't even know that I would wait the five minutes to do it a second time. Yeah, if there, if there was nothing else going on and we had hit everything else, sure, you hop on it. But um, it's certainly not uh, a must-do. Right. Um, and then the other land in the park uh, where you have quite a few attractions would be Grizzly Peak. Um, and that's where Soren is. And I have to admit, I was actually disappointed I was under the impression, I don't know why, and usually we research this type of thing, like, up up and down, like soup to nuts. We research everything. For whatever reason, I didn't feel it necessary to look into this because I was under the impression that Soren was Soren, as in Soren over California, as in the original ride that Disney World had when Disney brought Soren over. I didn't know it was soaring around the world. Yeah, I thought that when they did the refurb in Florida, they put this one back to California. 
And don't get me wrong, I love Soren around the world, but Soren over California, or if you're, or if you know, Orlando is your home park, just Soren is so much better. The original first run ride is so much better than Soren around the world. Yeah. And I kind of thought that's what we were going to get. But let that be the worst thing that we dealt with on the trip. I also have to say, um, I do feel like I got a fair share of Soren throughout the trip because... <laughs> if for, you were following our Instagram. Yeah, for however it happened, on Sean's iPod when we got in the rental, he plugged it in and Soren was the song that came up because he has a Disney World uh cd on his ipod and you know it's all the park music and i was like all right let's just roll with this we're driving through california why not and it got stuck on loop but it works yeah it was hilarious like we're driving down to the beach or like up into the hills and and you would turn the corner and it would just like hit at every spot it was hilarious what amazed me was how many times the song would hit its finale as we were pulling up to the destination that we were going to. I don't know what that must've happened five or six times. Yeah. That was pretty, it was kind of weird, but um, it's still a great ride. Um, Just not the one I was hoping I'd get. But like I said, if that's my only real disappointment in terms of attractions, then I'd say we had a pretty successful trip. We didn't do Grizzly River Run just because... It it, was cold. In the mornings, it was cold. By midday, it was 80 degrees. And then by the evenings, it was back down to being, say, 60 degrees. Um, So we never really felt the need to get on it because we were never hot enough to to go on the ride. Yeah, and after you got completely drenched on Splash Mountain, I was like, uh, I don't know about this. I don't know that I want to walk around in what... Cl-. And normally I'm not like that. Like, if you wear a poncho on the rapids, on the Collie Rapids, I will make fun of you. Mm-hmm. There's no place for ponchos on a river rapid ride. So I don't mind getting wet, but like, it's not like we had the Florida humidity to dry us out. So I didn't want to get completely soaked and then have to sit like that all day. We walked through Paradise Gardens Park, but so much of it was under renovation that you didn't really do much more than just walk through it. And then Pacific Wharf is cool. There's no attractions there. It's really all of your eateries um, and a couple of cocktail spots. Like we went down and had margaritas and got off our feet for 45 minutes. Nice area. Well themed. Yeah, Um, I like that because it's not just it's, you know, the San Francisco Wharf, but you also get like a little nod to Cannery Row. So this park does a beautiful job of encompassing all of california right you see where the theming where they where they got some of the theming right when it was when it's you know when they thought up the idea for disney's california adventure yeah probably my favorite though and i mean slightly less related to california you can see where it's based on the santa monica pier but i think the best part of that park is definitely pixar pier and i'm glad that it took us so long to take this trip because without all of that theming and without all of the, you know, it's not just the Incredicoaster and um, Midway Mania over there. They have a bunch of little carnival games and you see a lot of your favorite Pixar characters like Bing Bong and um, th- there's a lot of like Coco themed throughout. Um I feel like I would have been disappointed not having as much of the rides tied to that section of the park had we seen it before they did that reno. Right. Um, Jack Jack's Cookie Num Nums. We talked about them <laughs> before. I keep coming back to that. I'm not a huge dessert person. For whatever reason, I'm a sucker for a cookie, especially when it's warm. And 
you know, I, I'm just, I'm so vanilla as a human being. My, my favorite cookie is a chocolate chip cookie. And the best chocolate chip cookie I've ever had in my life, without question, is the Jack Jack Cookie Num Num. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm like blanking out thinking about it. Take a journey with me, if you will. <laughs> I want you to think about a Red Baron frozen personal deep dish pizza. Where on earth are you going? That you have, most of you have them in your freezer. The little personal pan, little four slice. Some of you, you maybe go to Target and they have the Pizza Hut Express. You go to a Taco Bell and they have Pizza Hut Express. And they have little personal four slice pan pizzas. Maybe not quite that big. Shave maybe an inch off of that. And turn the pizza into a thick chunk freshly baked chocolate chip cookie. It's $5 of heaven <laughs> in a tinfoil wrapper. And I cannot stress to you, I have not once gone one day, and we have been back now for a week, not one day has gone by where I haven't looked at the ingredients on the baker's rack and tried to figure out how I can replicate a Jack Jack cookie num num. Since we've gotten home. And you have texted me every day saying I want a cookie num num. The corn dogs are amazing. The churros are great. But make no mistake about it. The best snack on this property, from a cart at least, is a Jack Jack cookie num num. And if you go and you don't get a Jack Jack cookie num num, I'm sorry, but you've done it wrong. (laughs) You wasted your money. Book another flight, get in your car, go to the airport, go back. What was nice, too, aside from the cookie num-nums, is that they're doing sort of a Epcot wine and food type of thing for the holidays. Festival of the holidays. Yeah, the Festival of the holidays. It's down by Pixar Pier. Not right on the pier, um, but it's down in that section. um, And they do have, like, little carts with different offerings. So you can get, like... A soup, a main course, and a dessert all in one stop. Um, So I thought that that was kind of nice that they are trying to bring something like that to these parks. Um, We had so many cookie num-nums, we really didn't get to try too much. Um, But the menus looked really, really great. And I would love to see them do some kind of theming. Like, you know, obviously they're not going to do a passport because it's not like Epcot. But something to that effect where, like, you can have, like, a little takeaway that, oh, I went to all these different booths and I tried them all. Yeah, the the thing is... You're right. We had a lot of cookie num-nums. But the other problem is that um, the beverage carts closed an hour before the park did. Yeah. Not all of them. The the holiday-themed ones did. Um, You could still totally go get a churro or a cookie num-num, but they didn't have the particular holiday-themed ones open up until park close. Which didn't make any sense because if you go to Epcot Food and Wine Festival, those carts are basically open until the park closes. Why? I could understand if it were 9.45 and the park closed at 10 o'clock yeah. and it was shut down. But we went up to the carts because they have one stretch in between Paradise Gardens Park 
and Hyperion Wharf, that little circle where Hyperion Wharf meets with Pixar Pier over by Lamplight. That's where a majority of those carts were. Like down by Little Mermaid. And it was nine o'clock at night and they were all closed. It's not like it was one. It was all of them. I'm wondering if that had to do with, and we've also failed to mention this, we did not get to see World of Color. Um, That was down while we were there. It was something I was looking forward to and unfortunately we didn't get to see it. But I'm wondering if that's why they didn't keep them open because the show wasn't going on. I don't know, maybe. I mean, World of Color wasn't running because apparently, and everything you read on the internet is true, right? Um, Supposedly, one of the rigs that they have that um, houses the cannons for the water was damaged when they were doing the um, the refurb on California Screamin', which then became Incredicoaster. Right. At least that's the rumor. Um, and that was basically our, our day there, and then the third day we split up between um, DCA and Disneyland, and we were able to see the fireworks display, the holiday fireworks, um, which were really good. Yeah, that was really nice. It felt more like Wishes than uh, the new show over at uh, at Magic Kingdom. Happily Ever After? Don't know, don't care. It's not Wishes. Mm. I have very strong feelings about that. Yeah. You, ha- you have strong feelings about quite a few things that they've done in the parks or some of the things that they're not doing in the parks. <laughs> yeah, but I, I will say this, though. Um, one of the big takeaways overall that I really liked about Disneyland was that I feel like these parks are so much more tied to the movies. Um, I feel like really the only section that's not is um, the Grizzly... um, Grizzly Peak. Is Grizzly Peak, yeah. Um, That's really the only place in that park where there's not character representation at all. And even if they wanted to do it, it's an easy fix. You've got Brother Bear, you've got Pocahontas... You you could pro you've got Jungle Book, which is a much more obvious choice. Um, so that's something I'm sure that they'll address eventually. But I feel like there was not, and maybe because that's where being a smaller park it lends itself more, since they do have a very limited amount of space. That's why everything does have a character assigned to it. Whereas, you know, until recently in Epcot. Uh, until they put Frozen in Norway, you really didn't have a lot of character other than character sightings. You didn't really have the characters tied to the rides as much. And the Three Caballeros, that was, you know, a more recent addition to Mexico, I would say, within the past five to eight years. Um, so I feel like that's that's like a point California on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree with you on that one. Um I thought park hopping was really easy because not only are they right across from each other, I mean, you could throw a baseball from the gate at one and hit the gate to the other, but there's one security entrance in the front of the uh, resort that you go through, and you go through that security entrance, whether you're going to DCA, Disneyland, or even downtown Disney, because they're making it so that you go through once and then you can park hop back and forth without having to go through security again. So if you wanted to leave Disneyland and go have dinner or cocktails in Disney Springs or uh, downtown Disney and then hook back in and go back into Disneyland, you could do it. If you wanted to jump back and forth park to park, that was awesome because all you had to do was pull your ticket out, walk across. I mean, we were able to jump from one park to the next in less than five minutes. 
Yeah, especially if you're going and there's a magic hour or one park is open later than the other. It's great because you could stay till the park close in one and then hop over to the other. I thought I was going to hate that about it. And it was going to be a constant reminder that like we're not staying on property. There's no buses. But I actually really enjoyed it. Like I remember the first night we were walking through there because we got in in the evening and we went to dinner downtown. Yeah, Ralph Brennan's, which was really good. It was really good. And I remember we walked through there and Disneyland was on my right. And DCA was on my left. And it was like sensory overload. I was like, I don't even know where to go. I just wanted to run into either park. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, in all, it was a lot of fun. The The biggest gripe that I have with, with the Disneyland Resort is their app. We're used to using the My Disney Experience app at Walt Disney World. And by and large, my experience, and I've used that app on the last three trips. So we've used it over the course of the last six years. Um. By and large, that app for me has been basically flawless. There yeah. was maybe once or twice that ride pictures didn't generate and I had to go to somebody to have them fix it. But otherwise, it's been flawless. Making dining reservations has been a breeze. Making fast pass reservations have been a breeze. Pulling up your tickets, pulling up wait times have been a breeze. The Disneyland app, first off, it crashes constantly. Yeah. And... I would open that app up to go get park tickets or to go get fast pass or to pull up the wait times. And I would sit there and look at a white screen for 15 seconds before anything generated on it. It was absolutely terrible. 15 seconds on the low end. You know, sometimes there there were times where it wouldn't load for like a minute or two and that could make or break a fast pass. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has nothing to do with my phone being fast or slow. I, I have a new model uh, iPhone. So do you. Mm. Now, the thing was, it was on both phones that it was doing it. We weren't the only people complaining. I remember there were times where we would be standing there with maybe seven or eight people that had fast pass on their phone because they had the max pass. And they'd be sitting there waiting for these things to load. And there'd be 10 people with paper fast passes that would be like, I'm going because I'm not waiting. And they would get in before we did. What was kind of mind-blowing to me was that we got to beta test the Magic Bands when they first came out at Disney World and had no issues with them whatsoever. Right. And this is an app that's been around for how many years now? And there was there was just always something with it. Yeah. And, and like we'd make we'd we'd place a mobile dining order and I'd go to pull it up 15 minutes later like where is it? I can't find it. It was in some sub menu that didn't make sense. Like it just it's not it's not a fast app. It's, I guess it's it's not totally user friendly. You really and the thing is, I was playing around with that app for two months mm. before we went on this trip. I put it on my phone and I would like play around with it at work if it got slower, or, or sit around here and play around with it while we were watching TV. It was slow from the moment I got it. So it has nothing to do with the fact that the parks were busy that day and the servers were overloaded. I guarantee you, if I pulled it up right now on my phone. It would run like garbage. I think that's unfortunately one of those things where there's not really a sense of urgency because, again, it's a lot of locals going to that park. We relied on this heavily because we, I mean, yes, we had the park maps, but we had never been there before. We didn't know necessarily what the wait times were going to be. Where I'm sure if you're going there every weekend, you know that certain rides are going to be faster to, and easier to get on than others. Um so I do feel like that's just 
kind of one of those things where maybe they're not as invested because they know if you can't get on something or if you don't have a certain experience this time, you could get it the next. Right. The app is is terrible, but for the extra 10 bucks a day, you got to get the Max Pass. Oh my God, so worth it. It's a lifesaver because to be honest with you, we got so used to how things have been at Walt Disney World where you make your Fast Pass reservations so far in advance and you can actually hand select your times that we were able to say, okay, we're going to space our Fast Passes out a certain way so that we can kind of do our regular loop and not dash back and forth. But in California... You don't have that ability. When you pull up a fast pass, it's okay, here's your time, take it or leave it the way that it used to be with the paper fast passes. So we found ourselves on our first day in each park doing an awful lot of running back and forth, which at the end of the day doesn't really bother me that much because the parks are so small. That's the thing. Like when you think about, oh, we're going to run here and run here and run here and back and forth and we can't really plan it, don't worry because this is not Disney World. Right. This is so much smaller, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that it's much more manageable, manageable to do it that way. The c- but perfect word. I don't see how we could have gotten on half the rides we got on if we had to run around to paper kiosks to get these fast passes. Especially with the amount of rides that were down, if we didn't have the max pass, we would have gotten screwed out of a lot of things. Yeah, and uh, you get ride photos, and you get um, professional photographers too. Those pictures are all included on your Max Pass. So we found ourselves stopping a lot more. I got every ride photo, but we found mm. ourselves stopping with the photographers a lot more because it's not something we would typically do, but because they included it, it was worth doing. Whereas if you go to Disney World and you buy a photo pass, like the discounted price on the photo pass is almost $200 and it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, we've toyed around with getting a photo pass just to have, you know, some professional pictures in the pa- in the past, but like... We're so much more, you know, we don't go with children, so we're so much more ride-oriented where we just want to get get on the rides. Um, it's not something we've, we've ever necessarily needed. But this time, because we had it for an extra 10 bucks, we utilized it and it was great. But for the Fast Passes alone, so worth it. Absolutely. So that's, I mean, in all, I said it before, I'll say it again. If you are a Disney fan, if you really care about traveling to all the parks and seeing what there is out there, this is a trip you absolutely have to take. Yes. And now that we have taken it, I do have some news. Um, You know, there's a lot of these um, Disney travel agents and you have to go to the parks often and you have to be, you know, well-versed in them and have gone to a variety of them. So now that I have been to Disney World, Olani, and now Disneyland... Uh, I qualified to become a Disney travel agent, so I am now with Magical Vacation Planner. Um, They're a wonderful company that will help you book and plan your Disney trips. Um, This just happened. Um, I'm still in training. I don't even have my email address set up, but I'm definitely looking forward to be able to help everyone out booking their Disney trips. So um, if you're interested in working with me on that, you can email me now through the Monoreal Radio Gmail accounts, just monorealradio at gmail.com. And uh, once I have everything in working order, I can certainly get started booking these trips. Yes. Um, and Jackie will save you money so that you can take that same amount of money and go shopping. Or spend it on cookie num-nums like Sean. Well, we did both. 
now it's time to have it's time to get to the 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 fun part of this not that this hasn't been a fun part but the fun part for you where you get a takeaway other than just this phenomenal podcast by the way which is brought to you in in uh, partnership with amazon.com um we have a a prize package that we're going to give away an actual package sean is handing he is holding the bag right now yes so here's what we're going to do before i get into the contents of the bag um, I'd like to explain how this contest is going to go. Um, we are going to run this contest for two weeks. Um, I want to give everybody their fair shake at entering this contest. So the contest will go from now, from the moment that this podcast is released, um, and today is November 20th, 2018, until 11.59 p.m. on... Monday, December 3rd. So you get two weeks. Here's how you here's how you enter to win. You have a shot at multiple entries. First thing you have to do, you have to do this. Please give us a follow on either Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Once you do that, you can do everything else. If you give us likes on all three or follows on all three, you get three entries. One entry per. So there's three right there. If you like the posts that we have for the contest, well, we'll do them throughout the next couple of weeks. If you like the post, you get an entry. If you share the post, you get another entry. If you leave us a comment and a rating on the Facebook and on your podcast provider, whether it be Stitcher, iTunes, Google, Spotify. whatever it is. You ready for this? You ready? This is the big one. Five entries per rating. So if you rate us on Facebook and you rate us on your server that you use, ten entries. I feel like Don West, like when he was on QVC, and I've got the Mark McGuire rookie cards. <laughs> because wait, there's more. Wait, there is more. If you subscribe to the podcast, I'm going to give you five more entries. I'm giving it away, folks. I'm literally giving it away. Why don't we tell them what they're entering for? Here is what is in this package. First, and people collect these. They love them. Mm. We have a park map from Disneyland and a park map from Disney's California Adventure. And what you'll like about these is they are the Christmas ones. Yes, it does have the holiday theming. They have the holiday theming. So all the rides are holiday themed. And on the Disneyland Park, we have Sleeping Beauty's Castle done up in the Christmas lights. And for the Disney California Adventure map, we have Mickey and Minnie and their holiday best standing in front of a Christmas tree. Let's see. Oh, here we go. We have a pair of coasters... From the Lamp Light Lounge. at One of them is the Pixar Lamp. Another is the Toy Story Alien. That's right. <sighs> Over from Disney's California Adventure. Let's see. What else do I have here? We have a Disneyland sticker with the birthday boy on it. We have... Oh, I got so much in this bag. What else? Oh, here we go. This is a nice one. I have a stirrer stick from Trader Sam's over at the Disneyland Hotel. Where we commiserated the end of the trip and tried to cope with having to get on a plane. Yes. We have a pen from the Disneyland Hotel. Um, and, of course, you have to save the best for last. 
But I got not one, but two prizes that I believe are going to be very sought after. For whatever reason, people can't get enough of these. I have, and they're selling these on, on eBay. I actually probably should rethink this. Um, I have, and forgive me because there is a crease in it. It was given to me like that. Don't complain, especially when you're getting it for free. I have a Ziploc bag from Splash Mountain. The one that says, have a zippity doodah day and keep dry with Ziploc. People are going crazy for these things. I don't understand it, but sure. All right. Forgive the crease. Don't complain. You got it for free. And I got the big one. Now, this is the one we actually bought for you guys because I'm sure some of you are sitting here going, what is this prize pack? Yes, most of these were found items that we collected, but this is the big guy. This is the big one. Ready for this? Pin collectors are going to go crazy for this. And I beg you, I plead with you, I mean, you can do what you want with it, because it is yours if you win. Please don't trade this pin. Yeah, it's a good one. Because this pin, you can only get if you take a tour of the Disney Studios in Burbank. This is a huge pin. It's got to be... Three inches long by another two inches high. It's a pin. It's got two pins on it, actually. It double double the strength for the size of this pin. It's got some weight to it. It's like a gunmetal yeah. gray. It is a small scale replica of the Roy E. Disney animation building from the Disney Studios in Burbank, California. You can't buy this unless you are on that tour and in that shop. We're giving it away for free. And I'll be so nice, and I'm going to throw everything in one of those beautiful blue Disney Parks bags <laughs> because you know you don't throw away a Disney Parks bag. Never. Everybody's got them. No, those so, are not doggy bags. But um, we will post pictures of all this merch on our social media so you can see exactly what you're getting. So you the get pin the is Sammy really cool. Sosa. You get oh the McGuire. God. But that's our prize package to you. Um, so we're going to start running that promotion today. Again, it runs until 11.59 p.m. on Monday, December the 3rd. So we look out for uh, your follows, for your likes, for your shares. And uh, we'll do, I'm sure we'll do some sort of video or something when we actually determine the winner. Yeah. That way everybody knows that it's done in all fairness. I want everybody to have their, their fair shot at this. Yeah, basically the more you share or comment or subscribe, uh, the more you're going to get entered and then we're going to take those entries and randomize them. So you got to be in it to win it, but the more, uh, the more entries you have, obviously the better your chances are. Big news this week that came out, especially while we were away. A relic has been found and is being given back to the Disney archives. There was a missing cartoon. I'm sure some of you have heard about this. That was called Neck and Neck. It's an Oswald the Lucky Rabbit cartoon that was thought to be lost to time. It's a two-minute cartoon that has been found in Japan. It's been missing for 70 years, and they found it. That's amazing. And it's being returned back to the Disney archives. I'm really glad that they did the right thing with it. I mean, as I can imagine, you know, you'd you'd stand to gain a profit off of something like this, but uh, it went right back to the Disney archives, which is which is nice that they did the right thing with it. It's from 1928, and it predates Mickey Mouse. Yeah, that's wild. Ub Iwerks worked on this. Yep. 
Um, so that was that was the big news of this week. Thank you guys so much for sticking with us. We know this was a long one. This was a marathon. But how else do you cover Mickey's 90th birthday and the trip to Disneyland, plus the Mark McGuire rookie cards and everything else that we talked about. We we thought, do we break this up and do it as a two-parter? But we didn't want to do that. We, we wanted to give you guys everything in one shot because you guys have been so patient with us and you followed us throughout the entire trip. And we know people have been looking forward to this one. So we wanted to just put it out there. You get maybe three drives to work out of it. And, you know, we want to hear from you. If you have been to both parks and you have some comparisons, you know, definitely let us know. I'm curious if, you know, people's opinions are the same or if there's something that maybe even we overlooked. That's right. At Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Like, subscribe, and share, especially if you want a shot at this prize pack. Don't forget, www.monorealradio.wixsite.com. Links to uh, the Amazon Instant Videos for all of the films that we review here. Thanks to our our wonderful uh, wonderful friends over at Amazon.com. We thank you again for your support, and we thank you guys for your support. So for Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.